Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach, and I'm Tech Support. Before we get into our discussion today, a few announcements. First and foremost, Happy New Year! I think this is our first episode. We might be a week late on the official New Year, but Happy New Year to all those listeners out in Cinemodities fandom. And of course, if you are a dedicated fan, you know that every year, Rob gathers all his music files and creates his top 50 songs. And since this is the first episode of our 2020 year kicking it off, I wanted to let everybody know that on Spotify, you can now find Rob's top 50 of 2019. Zach is going to put that in the show notes for you to find, so some good music updates. And along the same lines with the music updates, I would be remiss if I did not mention, about two weeks ago, uh, N Inspiriority Complex released some new music. That'll be in the show notes as well, a new EP, six tracks available on Bandcamp. One of them is a uh, one of the songs I should say is inspired by uh, Twin Peaks. So Zach, give that a listen. Our audience, check it out. And I have to say, it's just music, no dancing. Zach, I hope that doesn't turn you oh, off too much. <laughs> Rob, I'm I am quite flaccid right now after hearing that. So <laughs> you might as well dump the cold bucket of water on me. It was done the same exact thing. We have to hire Zach as our choreographer when we go on tour. What, what, yeah. what do you think about that? Perfect. So much inferiority dancing. All right, so I figured we would just jump right into it by saying that we have a new series, of course, a new month, a new series, and I believe we are calling this one Incomprehensible Blockbusters. Has the name changed since I last checked, Zach? No, Rob, it hasn't. All right, so we are looking at, of course, blockbuster films that are in some way, shape, or form incomprehensible, and we are starting with none other than Chocolate Horizon, a.k.a. Butterscotch Vista, a.k.a. Lemon Firmament, a.k.a. <laughs> Mint Empyrean, a.k.a. Toffee Panorama, a.k.a. Vanilla Sky. Oh, so, yeah, fucks. Oh, was, yeah. I had never seen this movie uh, prior to this podcast, this recording. Um, I remember when we were thinking of incomprehensible blockbusters, this is something that I think has been in the spreadsheet for a while. We've had this idea for a series. And Zach and I were trying to think of things that would fit in. And I remember once, maybe a month ago or so, at the time of this recording, Zach said, oh, what about Vanilla Sky? And I was like, I, I heard of it. I know Tom Cruise is in it. That's about it. I, I guess if that you think that fits, that'll fit. And I believe I said to you, Zach, I remembered a trailer for this or something like that. I was misremembering the movie. I haven't been able to find which movie I was thinking of, but it was definitely not Vanilla Sky. So I guess I'll throw it over to you then um, for one. Well, why? I don't. Well, the incomprehensible part, I don't think needs much explanation as we'll get into the, the concept and the story of this movie. But uh, any special reason we're kicking off with this one? Well, I was thinking for a while when we I was first kind of kicking around the uh, incomprehensible blockbuster series. I think Rob can tell everybody later on that I was kind of having a hard time thinking of movies for this. Because I think, I'm not sure if we want to tip our hands too early though, but the final episode of this month is going to be our 100th episode ever. Ah, uh, yes. Very special so, uh, episode and very special discussion. Yes, a film that had its one-year anniversary roughly a couple of days within us recording this. Nice. And, 
yeah, one year. Did I say one hundredth or one year anniversary? It's I, not, thought, it I feels, thought I heard it, one year, but it feels like one hundred years ago. I do know. Last week, uh, in our Tomorrowland episode, I repeatedly referred to the year that we were closing out as twenty eighteen. So we're in a time vortex. Hundred years, yeah. one year, twenty eighteen. Who knows at this point? Much like Vanilla Sky, we don't know what year we're in. Something happened. Yes. We met. We met a beautiful woman who can barely speak English. We went into like cryogenic freeze with Benny the dog. We woke up, and all we keep saying is. Hester! <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> tip of the hand, folks. Tip of the hand. Um, but no, so like when I was kind of pitching this, I kept asking Rob. I'm like, Rob, I need incomprehensible blockbusters. I'm like, I, I, we need to think. And there was a bunch of things. Like at one point, we had Battlefield Earth on the list. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, oh, we can also do like the Tom Cruise mummy movie because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And at one point, Tomorrowland was, I think we mentioned it last week, was on the incomprehensible blockbusters. And Tomorrowland is a incomprehensible blockbuster. Yep. Um, but that had to be saved for Disney December Plus. And so I was thinking about it because I think at one point I did put the Tom Cruise mummy in there. And I was like, eh, I'm like that's kind of a monster. And I was thinking, and I realized, oh, wait, Tom Cruise does have an incomprehensible blockbuster, Vanilla Sky. And on top of that, it's probably the only example on this list in that it was a genuine box office success. Like, there's no little asterisk next to it. There's no, uh, like, little, like, annotation that says, like, oh, well, it didn't make as much money as the first one. So it was kind of riding off the coattails of the previous film, like our next week's film's going to be. Uh, so, no, I kind of felt, like, in a weird way that this is a perfect fodder for cinemodies. And what better way to start the beginning of not just a new year, but a new decade than with... With Vanilla Sky, or as the tagline describes it, love, hate, dreams, life, work, play, friends, friendship, sex. With no spaces, right? No, it is. <laughs> love, hate, dreams, life, work, play, friendship, sex. Uh, that's going to be this year's uh, Webster's Word of the Year, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I have to ask you, Rob, based on that tagline, how well does that describe the movie? Um, it, uh, it describes... A bunch, of wor- a bunch of words just smushed together. Does that describe Vanilla Sky well to you? Uh, yeah, I, I guess kind of. Uh, it definitely has a um, a smush together type of feel to it, I would say. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I can't argue with that. So this is, um, I was interested, you know, once Zach told me we picked Vanilla Sky and I started to look into it, um, I had definitely heard of it, as I mentioned. Uh, when I did some research before I watched it, I was surprised to see that it was uh, Cameron Crowe, especially Cameron Crowe coming off of, uh, if I remember correctly, almost famous, right? Yep. That's that's a big switch in movies after I've watched this movie. <laughs> yep. It is it is a it's a left turn. It is a left yeah. turn for him. Tonal whiplash. Um the first 40 minutes of this though, I think might just fall right in what I kind of expect from Cameron Crowe and then it just kind of goes off the rails. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is a, it's a strange movie. It's after cuz when I suggested this, I hadn't watched it in a while. I actually bought this movie while I was in college cuz I still have the receipt from like the first semester of freshman year. Yeah, I bought I funny enough, I bought it December 2nd, 2010. So nine years ago. Oh wow. Um you yeah, think you're I gonna think... return it? You still got that receipt? Rob, <laughs> FYE's not around anymore. Oh, it was FYE, oh, okay. It's FYE. <laughs> you missed yeah, the window. It's a, it's a used copy. Somebody wrote something on DVD and Sharpie now that I'm looking at it. Is it legible? I don't know. I think it says uh Does it say I wanna wake up? Um, no, hold on a second. I gotta zoom in a little bit. It's gonna take a little bit of time. Okay, Does folks, it say I gotta I swallow the no, tongue. God damn it! Don't steal <laughs> my joke. Yeah, you stole my year off right. 
Oh, can we can we say right now that that the fact that that's not AFI's top quote of all time in cinema is is a travesty? I I wholeheartedly agree. I'm sure we're going to get into the finer details of this movie, but I I really was not enjoying watching this movie until Cameron Diaz started ranting in the car. That's when the whole movie turned around for me. <laughs> oh, it's uh she gives you know what the weird part of that again, yes, we'll get into specifics. We got we kind of have to lay the plot of this out for the audience. This is not a deep end film. Um, well, it is, but not in the way we have to talk about it. Uh, is that like you watch that like monologue she has while driving the car? It's horribly corny, but she sells it so well. She sells oh, yeah. it so convincingly. You're like, wow, this is atrocious dialogue. Yet she's she's selling it. I'm like, bravo, Cameron Diaz, because up until this point, she was more or less kind of known as a sex symbol. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like the extent of Cameron Diaz And it's like wow it's like Bravo you kind of get why she took this role Because they're real like it's more or less like she's in the movie But it's more For, or for the most part it's a one sequence role And then she kind of disappears Yeah yeah and I I actually wanted to point that out because in my notes um, There's There's one note where I just wrote Cameron Diaz sucks in this movie Like before her <laughs> monologue I was like God this is terrible like she's this annoying like ditzy character and she she's all got like the girly affect and it was just grating on me and then my immediate next note is okay once cameron diaz goes crazy in the car i dig it (laughs) (laughs) it was like a a complete switch just it just flipped that switch for me everything was turned on and i was just so into the movie from there on out yeah it's that that's a show i remember i because i really don't have a lot of personal context for this movie because i remember when it came out like in this like december of 2001 it was really like that was right like on the i don't want to say precipice but kind of like when i really started getting into movies and i remember when it came out it was one of those like well back in the day or maybe it was one of the last few examples now that i think about it when all you need to do was sell a movie was just have the t- like the main actor's face on the poster yeah. and the title and that's it i saw that's that and i was like and i was like whoa you know that that's all we got like i remember hearing stories about how what was it uh the, the first batman it was just the, the poster was just the batman symbol and like keaton and nicholson and like that was a huge deal in movie poster world and yeah. then this is just like oh here's here's tom cruise face and you know we had a fan in the background making his hair a little look a little wispy and that did the trick i guess yeah, that's it's one of those things where it's kind of shocking now in retrospect to think of that you could just market something that way. Definitely. And that in part two is that this was a genuine success. It made back in two thousand one, it made a hundred million dollars. Wow. Today, was that domestic? Yeah, it made oh, two. Okay. It, back it made two hundred million dollars worldwide in two thousand one. Back when wow. worldwide box office wasn't really a thing outside of like Titanic. Sure. And like you're kind of like your super duper blockbusters. Uh, yeah, this was this was a success in pretty much every sense of the word. It's kind of amazing that it was a success back then. And oddly enough, nobody talks about this movie anymore. Yeah, that that's something I found surprising because I remember talking to a few people and I was like, oh, I got to watch Vanilla Sky um, for the podcast. And they were like, oh, I've never heard of that. And I'm like, Tom Cruise is in it. And like, I, no one really had anything to say about it. And I, um, you know, with Tom Cruise, at least I expected someone to know it. Because he's a movie star, but I, no one I encountered had really anything to say. So I really did go into this completely cold. It's also a weird movie in that, like, there's so many, like, celebrities in it. 
Oh, like there's yeah. so many recognizable faces. Again, you have obviously Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz, Kurt Russell, Jason Lee, Noah Taylor, Tilda Swinton, Michael Shannon. Uh, you have so many weird ass cameos: Steven Spielberg, Conan O'Brien, Johnny <laughs> Galecki. It's like it's just like how does this movie not like resonate? Yeah. Like, I get, I get Holog- it's a weird movie. hologram. Uh, Johnny Col or Force Ghost Johnny Coltrane. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's another weird thing in this movie. Um, that happened. I'm like, oh yeah, this was like back when Hollywood was kind of like high on the idea of like all this weird technology. Like in the same, I guess the same year as uh, AI artificial intelligence. We're like, oh, wow. I guess, I guess technology was finally starting to like seep into the business. And they're like, oh wow, look at, look what the future holds for us. Then you fast forward twenty years, and the future technology is just eight hundred Avengers films. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, this is like this is one of those movies where it's just there's so much going on, like on pretty much every level. It really is going to be a fascinating discussion because there's just so many different ways we can take this. Obviously, the lowest of the low hanging fruit being the amazing amazing Cameron Diaz monologue, which hopefully will become another kind of like a merman level quote in the Cinematis lore. Yeah. (laughs) Because remember, Rob, you can have sex with somebody not just once or twice, heck, even three times. But if you make love to them four times, your body makes a commitment. It means something. Zach, do you know that when you podcast with somebody, your body makes a promise whether you acknowledge it or not? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's insane like it's again i it's so weird because like i like on paper you read it and just like you can't help but laugh at it oh yeah but it's sold so convincingly and i can't wrap my mind around that it's one thing that bothers me why did you tell brian that i was your f- fuck buddy i didn't tell him that i didn't say that when did you stop caring, David? Caring about what? About the consequences of the promises that you've made. Promises? Yeah, the promises. I thought... <laughs> Get the fuck, what are you talking about? Do you understand how hard it is to pretend to be your buddy? David, I love you. I fucking love you. I fucking love you! Fuck! Hey! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't do this. Don't do this. You fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. Slow down. Four times. It means something, David. Four times. Stop the car. It's 24 hours a day. I live with this aching possibility that you might call me to do something. Yeah, let's go to your house and we'll talk this out. I want to see where you live. Let's just slow down. I want you to stop the car, Julie. I want you to stop the car! Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Tell me something, David. I mean, do you believe in God? Yeah, 
yeah, I have to, I have to agree completely. And I guess we also should say that's like 40 minutes into the movie, right? <laughs> and you have all the other weird stuff of Tom Cruise wearing a weird like gelatin mask. You've got deformed Tom Cruise. You got Tom Cruise in the gutter. You got Tom Cruise suffocating Cameron Diaz with a pillow. Yeah, it's yeah. Like when he when goes... he ties her up, then he's like, "I'm gonna tie this four times so it means something." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm at that point. We'll get into it because my brain was going like I, I was trying to figure out what the hell was happening in this movie, and then that line happens when Penelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz are switching places, and Tom Cruise is like going back and, and referencing lines early in the movie. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, how self-aware is this movie? <laughs> that's that's the weird thing. This movie is also like oddly ahead of its time, which makes its success during its initial release so baffling. Yeah, especially once I got through the whole thing and the kind of, I guess, the reveal in air quotes at the end, if you want to interpret it that way. It's kind of like, really? This this resonated with people enough to make that much money? That's crazy to me. That's that's the odd thing though. Is like I don't I remember like the critics didn't like this. I think audience like audiences were kind of just like met about it. Okay. But like it may have an opening weekend of like twenty five million dollars and it got to a hundred million, so it had staying power. Wow. Like I, I've got to look at okay now the IMDb's uh, IMDb uh well technically both box office mojo is such a mess I can't really like look at like box office statistics the same way i used to but like i i'm trying to think of what came out like that holiday season if anybody knows how to use box office mojo please comment down below uh we'll send you uh, a business card <laughs> it'll only be slightly damaged <laughs> only slightly okay this is what came out opening weekend for vanilla sky which was december 14th to the 16th vanilla sky the second weekend of Ocean's Eleven. Oh wow! Not not another teen movie. Remember everybody's favorite film, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Jeez, I saw Bo- that back in the day. Of of course you did, Rob. Little did you know at the time the impact that would have on your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the fifth movie was uh, Behind Enemy Lines, the weird like drama with Owen Wilson and Gene Hackman. Wow! Remember that That's movie? Crazy. Remember Barely. that movie? <laughs> Owen Wilson doing a dramatic role. Oh, wow. Gene Hackman, I'm stuck behind enemy lines. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that. Okay. I'm trying to see what's uh, next week. Okay. Lord of the Rings comes out. Ocean's 11's oh, number two again. Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. Hey, uh, good old uh, Steve Odekirk. <laughs> yes. Vanilla Sky. We're still waiting, folks, for the, the thighs of Sky Skipper. We're still waiting. <laughs> Get on it, Steve Odekirk. We know you listened to us. My disappointment was immeasurable. <laughs> it still is immeasurable. <laughs> and number five is how high? The is that the Method Man and Red Man one? It, where, Rob, where they smoke the, ask. the smoke? They smoke the dead person. I think that's that one. Rob, do you need to ask a movie called <laughs> How High? <laughs> but yeah, no, Vanilla Sky. Like it had it had competition. Think about that. Like, Lord of the Rings, Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we yeah. still talk about those movies. Definitely. Yeah, that, and then, like, after that, the following weekend after that, you have, what, uh, Ollie with Will Smith. And then uh, after that, it kind of just, weirdly enough, it kind of hovered in the top ten. But it never really kind of, like, went any higher. It just kind of hovered there. It made money, but just not a ton of money. That's surprising. Do you really think the staying power was that the the Tom Cruise energy and, the and I guess, Cameron Crowe? Because, you know, coming off of his run of huge successes... 
It had to be because uh, I guess it was just the idea. Also, it's like Tom Cruise. They probably sold. I mean, I looked at the trailers for this, but they probably sold it as like a, a romantic comedy, not a romantic comedy, but kind of like a Jerry Maguire, like a, what, a dramedy. Mm, they yeah, pro- they probably it probably was good date like date night fodder. Then you like show up and you see uh, Tom Cruise jumping off a building while he's disfigured. So I don't know. Like it, it made money. Like looking at like all the like it made more money than Ali. Even that same time too, you have uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, it made wow. more money. It made more money than that. Uh, obviously, it didn't make more money than Ocean's Eleven. But uh, yeah, really, the only things that season that kind of outgrossed it were um, Lord of the Rings, Ocean's Eleven, and A Beautiful Mind. And at that point, Harry Potter had been out for almost like two months, so sure. it's not really fair. But uh, yeah, really, like I guess, I, I guess they tried to make this an Oscar play, and it just didn't work. I guess it's like a failed. It was a failed Oscar play that was able to save face by making money. <laughs> okay, okay, the best way but, to save face, I guess, in the in the yeah. industry. Yeah, but like looking at the box office for that like holiday season, that like it was like the fourth highest grossing film of that December after Lord of the Rings, Beautiful Mind, and uh, Ocean's Eleven. God damn, I that that's crazy to me because you know watching it now and uh, thinking about you know the I guess the the premise of this movie and the the sci-fi aspects to it i don't think this would do very well today i think people would kind of see this as as watered down almost they want something more in your face uh and and more um explicit you know like the the time travel of endgame or something like that <laughs> yeah i know it was also a different world like look what was popular you had oceans 11 you had True. I, I, can you imagine a movie like a beautiful mind making 180 million dollars today oh no <laughs> I, I, I i could not see that happening Lord only the if it yeah. was a uh, an origin story to a new superhero <laughs> yeah uh yeah uh but yeah no this is uh yeah this is a weird one this is this is really it's it's an anomaly in that sense where i guess again it was just i guess like think about 2001 this is part of that kind of weird phase of like as rob knows we're gonna get to in the next a year from now uh, <laughs> oh, pre yeah. pre 9-11 like like movie cinema but this was right after that like you think about that you have 9-11 happens and you have all this like content that was designed for a completely different world than it was intended for mm-hmm. and so you have this like american culture that kind of doesn't know what to do with itself right now. And you release something like this. So you have, again, your Lord of the Rings, Ocean's Eleven, A Beautiful Mind. And you throw this in there. And I guess maybe it was just people wanting to go back to a simpler time to like a Jerry Maguire. Like Tom Cruise is America's golden boy. And he, he is Maverick because in a couple of months we will be getting Top Gun 2, Maverick Strikes oh, yeah. Again, or whatever it's called. I've had to watch <laughs> that preview a million times too in front of Star Wars. Maverick uh, Boogaloo. Oh my god. Confessions uh, <laughs> Confessions of a Scientologist. There we go. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, I guess that maybe that's what it was. The fact that like you have Tom Cruise's face on the poster and like Penelope Cruz was like like this hot, hot and like starting fit. I don't mean hot like in a pretty like in a physical sense, but she was just kind of this like new thing to Hollywood because she was uh, uh, a foreign actress before she kind of became Hollywoodized. That's what I can think of. Is that it really oh, was kind it. of like I didn't think of that until you said it. But was there a, an angle of the um? You got Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruise. Oh, Cruise you know. And, did they do that? 
Oh, did you? Oh, okay. No, I've never. I, I don't remember it, at least, um, from okay. back in 2001. <laughs> okay. Um, after this, Rob has to hold the gun to my head, because we have to explain what this movie's about, or at least try to explain what this movie's about. <laughs> okay. Okay. In preparation for this episode, I, I, I went back and listened to the Blank Check episode they did on Vanilla Sky, because they did the entire series oh, on they Cameron did Crow. Crow. Okay, okay. They did all Crow. And I, for, I remember this at the time, but I forgot it. Before listening to their episode, even for this discussion, it just jogged my memory, was that this this movie came out like right after Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were getting divorced. Oh, and Tom Cruise apparently was having not want to stay an affair, but not an affair like while he was married, but like after he he broke up with Nicole Kidman, he was with Penelope Cruz, and the big like like tabloid headline thing was like Cruise and Cruise together. Oh. Okay, and and that was the that was like an unofficial marketing angle while releasing this film. That was like the tabloid, like Entertainment Tonight marketing of this cruise oh, okay. cruise together. And and, and because uh, you had the names and they were in some type of relationship, makes sense. Yes, yeah, I remember. I I, I can vaguely vaguely remember this because I was only like nine years old at the time. But I, I Griffin says it on the episode. He's like when he was like when Tom Cruise was married to Nicole Kidman, he was kind of like. America's golden boys like finally settling down and then when he starts like hooking up with Penelope Cruz it's like all we care about is hot rough steamy sex and that and I, I kind of remember that being like the tabloid thing at the time that like oh it was a very steamy affair like that was the big thing going into this and I think maybe that's what it was too there was like a sex appeal aspect to it like Tom Cruise with this like hot foreign babe because at that mm-hmm. point nobody knew who Penelope Cruz was like, I was even reading for this that a lot of her dialogue she had to learn phonetically Really? Yes. That's insane. <laughs> Imagine some of this dialogue having no idea what it means, but just like reading it because somebody's like phonetically like reciting it to you. Yeah, that's crazy. I guess that makes up uh, that answers some of my questions about some of her <laughs> uh, performance in this movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's fair to judge her entirely. On okay. This. Okay. She wasn't terrible. I think it was just there were bits and pieces I picked up on where I was like, that's not how you say those words. (laughs) Well, she's very pixie-esque in this. Like, she's almost like, there's no way someone like that could exist. And I get that. That's the point of this movie. She is supposed to be like this almost like quasi like angelic figure. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's the, she's, she's, again, pixie being the right word, I think, more than anything else. Okay, interesting. All right, yeah, so we got Cruise and Cruise with the sex appeal. Uh, you think that could ever happen again? I, I've heard some people online call for it, but a move, movie with Tom Cruise and Terry Cruise. <laughs> okay, I think the picture I've seen is they is someone wants a movie with Tom Cruise and Terry Cruise, and they're on a cruise. That's the premise I've heard. Like they want to get the word "cruise" in as much as possible. <laughs> I like to imagine there's got to be a fake movie poster out there, and it says. Cruise, cruise, and it's a picture of like Terry Cruz doing the thing with Tom Cruise, like Titanic on the bow of the ship. Oh, <laughs> cruise, cruise, and they're and they're on like a Royal Caribbean or like what? What's it like? Oh God, what's the other one? Like Carnival cruise ship, and they're doing that. a uh, a uh, sagging birthday cake. <laughs> there you go, sagging birthday cake. We haven't heard that in a while. Now that I'm the king of the cruise. <laughs> Sagging birthday cake. All right, folks, if you have your Cinematis Nostalgia Bingo card in front of you, you can now check off that square. We're pulling it all up in the new year. Here we go. <laughs> Titanic definitely looked looked sick. It looked like a it looked like a sagging birthday cake to uh, survivors in the lifeboats. This ham is delicious. 
Nice. <laughs> Just make all the references from Titanic sticking to miss in one, one foul swoop. <laughs> right on. All right, Rob, considering that you're much more concise and direct than I am, do you want to explain to our audience what the hell this movie's about? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. Uh, so um, Tom Cruise is living the dream. He is a media mogul. I think he runs a magazine company. Yes, the magazine's called Rise. He runs, he runs three magazines, Rob. Oh, okay, okay. So he, he's, in, uh, he's a magazine mogul, I guess, type of thing. Uh, he inherited it all from his father, and his life seems to be going great. He's banging Cameron Diaz. Uh, Jason Lee's jealous of him. He's having all these parties. He's great friends with Steven Spielberg, like actually Steven Spielberg, not Steven Spielberg playing somebody else. Um, and then he meets the girl of his dreams, Penelope Cruz. He really has a good time with her. But then Cameron Diaz gets jealous, I think. I guess that's one way to put it. Something and like that. drives them both off of a bridge, right into uh, a brick wall. This horribly disfigures his face. And we kind of get this weird non-linear telling of how Tom Cruise murdered Possibly Penelope Cruz, possibly Cameron Diaz, if they are different people or the same people. Um, and it all kind of coalesces into this very, very uh, watered-down kind of David Lynch Mulholland Drive idea of, of Capgrass Syndrome or imposters and doppelgangers. And then eventually it turns out that Tom Cruise, I guess this is something we'll have to talk about, the movie tells us, Noah Taylor tells us, that Tom Cruise has been dead for 150 years and his brain was put into some form of lucid dream so he could continue to live out his fantasy, but something went wrong somewhere. Is that... I feel like I'm missing stuff, but <laughs> at the same time... There's, I there's, some, there's some nuances in the film that you kind of skip, but that's, that's fair. That's, that's par for the course. Yeah, yeah, and I think some of those minor details I want to talk about more because this movie definitely got me thinking at a certain point. Um, but I think the, the thing to really highlight is the first half of the movie not even the first 90 minutes of this, you know, two hour plus movie, there's really no notion that he's dead or in a lucid dream. That really only comes at the very end when Tilda Swinton pops out of nowhere. Right? Well, there's hints. Cause we keep seeing the Benny, the dog thing. They keep referencing yes. the Benny, the dog, like, Oh, the dog was like frozen in the lake. And then, like we see the dog and the dog's just kind of like staring into the void every time we look at him. And it's like, Oh, like this, this happens. But something is lost in the process. Yes, and I think I think that's where I I was really intrigued at the start of this movie because at the very beginning we get a great uh, musical piece. We get some Radiohead. My exact note is actually, who doesn't love some Radiohead to start a movie? Uh, Everything in its right place. That's a great song. Tom Cruise goes driving and Times Square is just empty mm -hmm. and he gets out of his car and he's running around and, and Times Square is completely void of any other people, but all the buildings are still lit up and very prominently you can clearly observe an old episode of the Twilight Zone playing. And it's one of my favorite episodes called Shadow Play. And this really perked my ears up because I'm watching this and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Why is nobody like why is Tom Cruise just running around in the middle of Times Square? And I see Shadow Play. 
And if no one, if you're unfamiliar with Shadow Play of Twilight Zone, that's the episode where a man is on death row and he's trying to convince everybody else that they are in his dream. And I'm like, that's a very interesting episode uh, to pick for this. So I had the twinge of something weird going on, and then it goes right into Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz being in a relationship. Tom Cruise, everything is going right for him, and it turns into lovey-dovey, corny, sappy nonsense for the next 40 minutes. So I, there was something there at the beginning that hooked me, but I really kind of fell off with it until that Cameron Diaz monologue. The other thing I have to say is at the beginning... Um, Tom Cruise's car has the registration sticker of February 30th, and that caught my eye because, of yeah. course, that date does not exist. I Unfortunately, I looked it up later, and apparently that was an accident. Um, I don't know how you make that mistake. That's like you're like January 56th, you know? It's like that's just a terrible mistake to make. But I think that's what Zach was saying. There's all these little hints that something weirder is going on, whether they be prominent like Benny the Dog or a little more subtle like the Twilight Zone or the um, uh, the car registration sticker and things like that, and that's where my ears start to perk up. Is like, what is this? You know, there's something else going on, and I was hoping that it would get out of the, oh, I love you, Tom Cruise. I love you, Penelope Cruz. You're the best. You're the best. I can't talk to anybody like I talk to you, and it did, thankfully. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's the weird thing about this movie is that, like, even in the blank check discussion, they talk about like how there's zero chemistry between Penelope Cruz and Tom Cruise. And I didn't believe that. Like, I, when I watched it, because I watched the movie first, then listened to their discussion, mm-hmm. I, bu- I bought the romance. Like, I guess maybe, I've always liked Tom Cruise as an actor. Uh, I don't think I have a favorite Tom Cruise performance. I, he's just always been, like, good actor man. I've nev- I've, it, that's the weird thing about Tom Cruise. Is, like, I've never been able to really ever, like, see him blending into a role. He's always just Tom Cruise, because he is this, like, larger-than-life persona. Fair, yeah. But, I, but I would I, say you're right, even with Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. It's like, you you well, know that's just Tom Cruise doing a shtick. It's funny, it's fantastic, but you're never like, oh, this, you're just always like, this is Tom Cruise. Sure, and I think that's maybe something that happens more, like, in his 90s roles. I think pretty much everything after, I think, cocktails when he starts to become this, like, larger-than-life persona. Mm-hmm. Um, because even, like, some things like uh, Top Gun and Risky Business, you can, he's still young enough there where you can still kind of buy him being someone other than Tom Cruise. Uh, but no, but like I kind of I didn't have a, I I liked the romance like like Rob said the first forty minutes is which just uh, I love you or I love you so much but I can't say it or all these things I like that I like I like the whole thing where at the party and he again Jason Lee again he he keeps trying to like what skim women off of Jason Lee yeah and like Jason Lee brings her to the party and she has kind of like no idea like why she's there Penelope Cruz and she's wearing this giant coat which I love they bring attention to over and over again it's this giant just like uncharacteristically new york jacket for people mm-hmm. who live like in midtown and again that sort of thing i like i like the schmaltz i thought I, it's kind of like you don't get that in movies anymore because i guess they assume everybody is too cynical in today's like era to sure. appreciate that level of just schmaltz and i think that's something that cameron crow only someone like him can bring because there was a series of uh oh god i don't know what you would call it like uh it's kind of like what they used to do back like 15 plus years ago like afi used to do with their top list cnn did something with it called like the movies and they analyzed like every decade of movies they brought like celebrities in and other high profile people filmmakers and one of them was cameron crow and a lot of the stuff with him because again i don't think cameron crow's had a hit movie in like i think at least 10 years and like you hear him talk about like what sort of things like influenced him and a lot of what really clicked 
was like John Hughes stuff. Like okay. that really kind of just like over the top, but not in a bad way, like just sentimentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something interesting where you have like someone like Cameron Crowe that knows how that sort of schmo- like can do that sort of like genuine schmaltz. Whether you like it or not, it's an entire separate issue. Yeah. But that sort of just like like convincing romance or that kind of like girl next door American pie romance. Because like I would imagine even like early 2000s, the idea of two New Yorkers like hooking up together would just be like, okay, how fast can we get each other's clothes off? Especially if you're like real life Tom Cruise like magazine executives. And yet you – I don't know about you, but I believe the fact that, like, okay, Tom Cruise is smitten by this woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I bought the romance completely, um, and I think that's why I didn't like it because I bought it, you know? (laughs) It was so so sentimental. I was like, okay, come on. I get it. And they just kept going. I'm thinking specifically of the scene where – um, they're drawing each other, and she draws the caricature, and then well, he draws yeah. the actual good th- and picture, and it's like, I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, please, please make it stop, you know? But I, I feel that way because I bought it. If I didn't buy it, I'd just be like, okay, whatever, blah, 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 and be able to move on. But, you know, that really sappy stuff, I felt it, and that just doesn't sit with me, you know, because Zach knows I have a heart of ice. <laughs> yes, he is a sociopathic robot, folks. He is. I can confirm that. Um, I've seen his internal matrix. Um <laughs> Uh, but no, but I think that like that first 40 minutes, which is I would imagine a lot of people have problems with. But I think without that, the rest of like that's kind of the bedrock that the rest of the movie kind of is built upon. Because if you oh, don't okay. have that like deep infatuation that he has with Penelope Cruz, everything else from the movie just disappears and it dissipates. Absolutely. I think um, you know, while I was watching it, I didn't like it. But then once you get to the end and you have tech support explaining how there was some type of glitch in Tom Cruise's lucid dream or his his dream state after death, then it makes sense. It makes sense that everything with him and Penelope Cruz was so sappy and lovey-dovey because that's what he would want. That's his perfect ideal life. And then it starts to go wrong. And so it makes sense once you get that kind of reveal at the end. Okay, one thing I want to ask before I forget about it. What do you, and not to skip ahead too far, but what do you think of the idea of them essentially like explaining the last two hours and the last five minutes of the movie? Do you feel that's a cop out or do you think that's necessary? Um, I, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's necessary, but I didn't really have a problem with it. I thought it was um, interesting because I liked having some type of um, solution at the end. And, you know, I've, we've said it on here that. I usually like things that are left more open-ended where you can kind of get the sense of, oh, what happened? And it's open to interpretation. But I felt that it it tied up everything in this film rather nicely. So I I was really okay with it. Um, And then especially the very ending with Tom Cruise's choice, I guess, and Kurt Russell breaking down and, you know, he's like, I'm real, I'm real. I think that's the director's cut or the alternate ending, though. Um, I thought that fit perfectly. I think that it it was earned, I guess, is a good way to say it. All right, because, like, I guess I I, mean, I haven't watched prior to watching it for this discussion. I had not watched it since 2010. Yet as I was rewatching it, I remembered every. It kind of came to me every single time. Like, okay, now this will happen, mm-hmm. and then this person will turn that corner. And I think I appreciate the movie for a lot of that because I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. But watching this is a one-off. Like watching this like fresh. I don't know. Like, I don't know how normies would, like, how this would play to normies. Mm. Yeah, that that I'm not sure because, you know, once once I got really, once the movie really got going 
and it kind of, you know, Penelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz started switching places, and things were weird. Like, Tom Cruise was deformed, wasn't deformed. That's when I really got into it, and my brain started going, like, with what is happening? You know, what is this movie about? And I'm glad that the movie kind of gave some sense of it, because I couldn't really reach a good answer at the end for me. Uh, not at the end, but throughout. Because when people were switching places, um, the two women... I was like, okay, is this a big, like, Capgrass syndrome? Like, Tom Cruise thinks people aren't the people they actually are because he has some mental defect as a result of his injury. Um, and I got the sense of this being somewhat of a religious tale as well, especially with him kind of his rebirth when he gets his face put back on correctly. And, you know, his magazine being called Rise. I, I got some Jesus kind of connotations there. My brain was going in so many places. I liked that they kind of threw a thread out in the very end. To, to not, you know, say, oh, I was wrong, and this is what it is, but to give some more specific closure. Sure, okay, I can get behind you're, that. You're right, though. The normies, I think, would kind of tune out where they, from the, the car crash up to the tech support part, where things are just going crazy, you know, like the good vibration scenes and stuff yep. in the, uh, the LE offices and Tilda Swinton looking right at the camera and everything like that. I would imagine a lot of people would, would check out and then when they do get an answer, be like, eh, I don't care anymore. Or, eh, that wasn't satisfying. But that's the thing, though. Is like, this is, like, this comes out the same, like, time span, I think, as Mulholland Drive. And obviously, Mulholland Drive did not get the, uh, a fraction of the marketing push that, mm -hmm. that this did. But this feels like, I, I mean, this is the reason why this film did as well as it did. Was that like it? It does feel like a baby's first David Lynch, yeah, or, or a baby's first like experimental film, and because it does, ha it is weird. It's different. So I guess maybe if you were like a young couple in like two thousand one, and you didn't want to sit through like Russell Crowe like suffering through like hallucinations and like beating up Jennifer Connelly, it's like oh, like okay, this is something that's different. This is a little. This is edgier. Mm -hmm. But it still has that like sex appeal aspect to it. Like it's not just uh, like your normal romantic comedy. It's it's not another teen movie. Um, that's that's the only thing though. Is that maybe that edge is what helped it at the time. Mm, yeah, a little more. Um, it, it wasn't like like you said. It, it's it's baby's first type of you know branching out into this thing. It, it didn't go full force, so it wouldn't lose a lot of that audience. But it had just enough to make it you know weird. Yeah, they didn't stand out, but enough that like, like it's one of those movies that probably a lot of people walked out of it being like, okay, but I'm not going to recommend it. Like in the sense of like, I'm not going to tell anybody you have to see this. It's like I didn't dislike it, but it's it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I those movies that, that just kind of like, okay, that was that was fine. Like I don't feel gypped, but at the same time though, I'm not going to be like, guys, you got to check this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's probably what it came down to. Some some version of that. Because, like, at the same time, though, it is trying to be, like, that experimental, like, aha, we've had a plan, like, there's a deeper meaning to all this, but even at the end when Noah Taylor's explaining, like, everything that's been going on, and it's like, oh, like, you had, like, an inception point of when, like, the lucid dream began, mm -hmm. so it, like, seamlessly, like, weave into your memories, and it's like, oh, when was your, when was that, like, point? It's like when you, like, when you, like, oh, God, passed out in the gutter, and yeah. you woke up and she was there. Yeah, yeah. Except exactly. the pro except the except the problem though is that like in the the narrative of the film, there's nothing there's nothing at that moment to signal to the audience when we rewatch it that there is some break there. 
Like there should be like that's where you should have like a good vibrations moment. That's where you should have like a dream sequence. There should be some level, maybe not as blatant as good vibrations, but there should be some level of like I, I'm not sure, Rob. Maybe you remember and I don't. But going from when he he goes chasing Jason Lee and Penelope Cruz because he thinks they're hooking up like behind his back. Mm-hmm. He passes out like in the gutter with his like gelatin mask, and then like the very next scene is her like nudging him like, "Come on, wake up." And and there's really no uh, yes at that point like we get this really beautiful like like oh god panoramic sky um I get it like, kind of like the, the the color palette of the film changes a lot from that moment yeah but that, I guess that's it is the sky in that scene the very pastel bright yes. vibrant colors but that's it you're right there should be something a little more um, a little bit more definitive yeah considering this is a mainstream film like no if we're watching David Lynch's Vanilla Sky. I don't expect that, mm-hmm. but when it comes to like mass appeal entertainment, there should be something a little bit more. Like even if you want to just be really blatant about it, have a couple of little just like glitches or something like that to show like something happening, where like or even I forget the sky. There should be something like I don't know. Maybe there's a I don't know. I'm trying to, like, you have like an animal walk by. Like I don't know. So something a little bit oh, more. Oh, something bizarre. like a uh, something like a flash of Brad Pitt in Fight Club before Tyler Durden shows up and all that stuff. Something something that you know you you can see you can register. And then it's like you kind of think about it and it sticks in your brain rather than just, oh, the sky is a different color. Exactly. Because certain mo- – because, again, having her show up like after she kind of blew him off that night because of how like disfigured he is, that's like, oh, you can believe that. That seems like something that character would do. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, you, you need that differentiation to kind of, you need something really, I don't want to say bizarre, but something uncanny to happen to be like, oh, when you rewatch it, it's kind of like when you go back and watch any movie that has a twist at the end, you need all these little signs that are peppered in. And I don't know if the sky is enough of a indicator to a date night crowd. I, I would agree completely. And, you know, I got the sense, I think it's a few scenes after that where he's walking through the streets with Penelope Cruz, and you can see all the cars that are parked on the street are just from the 50s and 60s. Like, there's an old VW bus, there's old Fords, and and it, it's I'm looking at that, and I'm like, what are the, all these old cars doing here? The movie started with a hologram Johnny Coltrane. Like, this is anachronistic, almost. And something more like that, like you said, with the animal or something along those lines, definitely. But that's the, the thing. That, the okay. sky being a different color is just, you know, that could be anything you know <laughs> but no i think you have a point there because like the cars thing like that's again it's subtle and i have no problem with that though but like you said you have the movie begin with the hologram and it's like oh that didn't exist in 2001 on a commercial level yeah yeah so like you're gonna have weird things like that you really kind of have to again you're kind of i guess that's maybe the point he's going for because even the very beginning of the movie when he wakes up to the um the alarm saying like wake up it's penelope cruz's voice mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep so i know a lot of this again it's baby's first david lynch film but so like i don't know like what's the whole and that's why i kind of this is why this is more of an incomprehensible blockbuster is that like how much of this is supposed to be more abstract and interpreted literally yeah exactly and that and that's kind of you know something i've i've thought about and found in my research is that you know yes we do get Noah Taylor's tech support very explicitly explaining what Tom Cruise has been going through. But it seems like that, you know, according to Cameron Crowe and everybody else, that doesn't necessarily have to be the only interpretation. And there should be more to to guide the audience to that. Because I think, like we said, if somebody just goes to see this, once you have someone in the movie explaining it to our main character, it almost becomes cut and dry. Like, that's that's what it is. 
Exactly. And that's why I have a hard time. Like, again, like you just said, you said it perfectly. If the movie lays it out for you so simply, you can't argue with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's it, the weird thing with needed, this. I think it needed more of a um, of a total recall feel. Like when we discussed total recall, you know, there's no way you could go. There's arguments for was he in the total recall machine or did this all actually happen? It could really be split either way. And here, if you just look at the movie, you know, you say this is what they told us in the movie. This is what happened. You know, how can you argue against that? Where it's more ambiguous in movies like Total Recall. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it, clearly, he wants that like ambiguity, but he lays it out too perfectly. Like, we shouldn't have. Like, you, yes, you should have Noah Taylor, but maybe instead of Noah Taylor, you should have like Kurt Russell doing it. Again, Kurt mm. Russell is like, like I again, much like what happened in Total Recall. Have him be there and be like, oh, like I'm part of your memory. Well, who's this then? This is my, I don't know. Uh, lucid dream incarnation he's here to guide you out of any problems because that happens in the movie too he's like tom cruise i can help you yeah. i can help you get out of this uh something like that even the lawyer we have what a peter Pettigrew from harry potter's his lawyer yeah. he may, instead of kurt russell peter Pettigrew comes in it's like oh like I, i'm here buddy uh the lucid dream people hire like ask me to be like your representative because they know you would trust me as an authority in your life mm-hmm. something like that like, i think the idea of noah taylor being this kind of just like out of nowhere except for what the the, the coffee shop where tom yeah. Cruise is hitting on him um even that, because there's even some things too that like they mentioned the fact that like the technology, like oh, like Jason Lee has like the the camera with the, like, the little DVD player, and it's like I'm filming you too. Look at me, I'm filming you guys. Isn't technology crazy in 2001? And it's like, well, yeah, we've we've had camcorders that can hook up to like video sources in 2001. That's that's something that even though it probably was expensive, it was commercially available. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not as bizarre or like out there as cryogenically freezing somebody or like a pretty realistic hologram at someone's Christmas party. Exactly. And even the, I'm thinking of the, um, uh, the, the TV that Tom Cruise has that retracts into his floor yep. type of thing. That that's doable. You know, it just, yeah. it's not crazy though. That's the weird thing though. Cause like at this point, a Tom Cruise, Cameron Crowe movie would be seen as okay. Product placement. We can put some product placement here. Or just make, th- and again, ha- having, 2001 era Tom Cruise publisher magnate having a flat screen TV coming out of his floor. It's it's foo-foo's like fancy. It's not yeah. anything that's like science fiction-y. Whoa, can you believe this exists in today's like day and age? And that's what I mean. The movie, the movie wants to be ambiguous, yet it, it's too cut and dry at the end to be ambiguous. Exactly, exactly. And that I think that is, you know, since I've uh, after I watched it and, and kind of sat on it, um, that's a, that's the little disappointment I have because I had so many thoughts as I was watching it that first time um, that, like I said, I enjoyed that we had uh, something with Lucid Dreams, which was nowhere in my train of thought while I was thinking about this movie before it was uh, explicitly said. It, 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 it is too much of a wrap up almost. Yeah. And especially with the the exact last shot of the movie with him opening his eye. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because even you have the stuff, too, with the whole thing. Like, like, I'm trying to figure out what the, oh, God, like the the figurative, not the, oh, my God, I can't get the word for it. The metaphorical, like, resonance of the fact that his face is disfigured and the fact that he has, like, the, the, the dual nature of him where he has, at one point, he goes to the nightclub and he has, he, he has the mask on the back of his head. And he still has his, like, face oh, exposed. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is really clever, clever imagery. Mm-hmm. Yet, what does it mean? 
Yeah, exactly. And that that's kind of um, some of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching this movie um, and really trying to see how they fit like that. Like the the beginning of the movie when every he's going into his office and like everybody he talks to is like, you have to pick the color palette for the cover. Like it's either black and white or red or something like that. And I'm like, OK, this is going to come up later. Right. And it just seems to just fall off the face of the earth. It, but that's it's the- more of that duality. Yeah. That's what it is. There's a lot of like duality dichotomy with him where he has to choose between two things that he never can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, and whether it be, again, the magazine, the dream versus reality, Penelope Cruz versus Cameron Diaz, the mask versus the disfigured face. He always has two choices before him and he's always indecisive about him. And maybe that's the, the, the message of the mm-hmm. film is that it's, it's the finally being free of indecisiveness. Is that finally making a decision one way or the other? Oh, okay. I could kind of see I that. I don't know. The, That's... the duality also makes me think of Jason Lee's whole thing where he's always like, you got to take the good with the bad, the sweet with the yeah, not the sweet, sweet or the sweet, the sour and, and stuff like that. And, you know, they everybody's ordering Jack and Coke all the time just to hammer it into our heads that we have. Okay, this is a little sweet. This is a little sour. And it, but that doesn't really lead me to the, the choice aspect. That's just kind of like you have to take both of them, but you can't take like both things with a magazine cover. You can't have a non-deformed face and a deformed face. So that's where I think it kind of clashes. Yeah, and I think that's the weird thing, though. Is I guess it's the idea that, like, okay, I guess maybe it's also earnestness versus being, like, superficially perfect. Okay. Because, okay. because you have the idea of, like, okay, he has this silicon mask face that the, doc- that the panel of doctors tell him that, like, okay, if you wear this, it'll heal your face. It won't upset people, blah, 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 blah. And he rejects it. And probably the second best scene of the film is when he has the panel of doctors and he's screaming at them. Um, but then you have things too oh, where yeah. that uh, that I we'll think the, the one that. we'll have to insert the that. one yeah the one genuine laugh I got I got uh, I gave this movie was when um, the one doctor's like we could do something about your arm and he's like fuck my arm <laughs> and beyond the cheek grafts Dr Pomerantz are the pins fastened with any kind of aluminum which could ionize and cause that pressure in my head because. I'm ready for another operation. Yes, we are working on processes, but it, you're specifically not at the stage where we can experiment. No. Experiment? Use me. The headaches will go away. No, these... These are more than headaches. These are like steel plates slicing through my every thought. We're not cowboys. We, we can't just wing it. Because I can't think straight most of the time. We can increase your medication. Oh, yes. Medication. And there are things that we'll continue to investigate. However, there are so many others who've not had the aesthetic benefit of plastic surgery as you have. This isn't about vanity, Dr. Pomerantz. This isn't about vanity. This is about functioning in the world. It's my job to be out there functioning. I've got the money. I'll pay any amount. Just invent something. Just play jazz. You say you're the best face man in New York? Fucking prove it. We could do something about your arm. Fuck my arm! Yeah, that, that's a fun sequence. That's a, he, he's, he's acting with a capital A and a bunch of quotation marks there. <laughs> um, but no, but we do have this thing too, again, just kind of like the beauty of somebody. 
but then you have like uh, the superficial beauty then you have like the under the surface whether it be the caricatures the fact that like after well this is during the lucid dream but when he had sex with penelope cruz the first time and he finds the mole and he's like telling her like oh like she's like i forget she says something there's, there's also stuff about reincarnation in this too mm-hmm. that we really haven't delved into and he's like, I want to come back as this mole right here. And that plays a big part later on in the film when he smothers Catherine Cameron Diaz to death. Yep. Um, again, this feels like another Vox Lux in that, like, I feel Cameron Crowe has a lot to say. He just doesn't know how to say it coherently. Oh. Or it's not as ambiguous enough like something like David Lynch, where it's like, okay, David Lynch wants to tell us something, but you really have to think about it. And then it's clear as day this feels like a message that's very muddled by it trying to be like 14 different messages wrapped in one yeah yeah i could see that yeah because like i said you you just mentioned the reincarnation stuff and that's where i was getting the um the jesus kind of Im- uh, not imagery but um jesus story stuff with his rebirth type of thing and his re- uh, getting his face back and stuff and that's where i thought it was gonna go but it doesn't really go anywhere with that you know it all well, funnels itself into the lucid dream <clears throat> but it kind of does because I think it's maybe less reincarnation, maybe it's more resurrection. Sure. Because the whole idea is that he's essentially in this cryogenic limbo and he comes back. Well, we have to assume he comes back to life based on what the ending is. Um, and I think it's more, again, resurrection more than anything else. And, and that's the weird thing because there's, God, it's such a, a hokey thing in Hollywood to do, like in Jesus metaphors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the idea that even like kind of like it's the people that he inspired and even the fact that there's a very, very blatant point made that after uh, – does anybody know – does Jason Lee know that he's cryogenically frozen at the end? I mm, – that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not sure. Because this is the point going to what you were saying with the Jesus – to jesus references is that there's a very big point made that oh after you died everybody loved you so much jason lee had to have a memorial that lasted three days oh yeah yeah that's that's right yeah uh, oh jesus that's i'm i'm glad you bring that up yeah uh, because that scene in particular yes the jesus imagery um i do remember um on my second viewing of this when you see um the little shot of the um the memorial in his in Tom Cruise's apartment that Jason Lee's holding, you can see Noah Taylor there, mm-hmm. and okay. so I I would take that to mean that yes, you know, or maybe maybe um, Jason Lee didn't know then, but maybe that was something that um, Noah Taylor was like pitching to the estate at that memorial. I don't know because I would imagine the movie don't get into it, but I would imagine there's a time frame like you can't be dead for six years and then go into cryogenic freezing or well, anything like that. Well, that's. And probably my favorite scene in the movies, like when Noah Taylor's explaining everything, we're having the flashbacks, and it's like, oh, Tom Cruise, you realize like after you've like you passed out in the gutter, you woke up the following morning and no one was there, and you kind of limped back to your apartment, and that's like when your truth spiral into like depression started. Because like we have yeah. a really again, it's my favorite scene in the movie that we have Tom Cruise like in a hotel bathroom. Like swallowing a like a, a bottle full of pills, and it's lit so like I don't know what like obviously they lit it, they lit it with like a lighting like equipment, but it seems so real. Like mm-hmm. you feel like okay, they put Tom Cruise under a bunch of just like disfigured makeup, and they gave him a bottle of pills, and he's filmed in like a hotel bathroom somewhere because it seems it feels very real. Like okay, this guy realizes that everything is gone, his his old life is never coming back. He, he turned off Penelope Cruz. And that's the weird thing, too. Like, the whole, like... Again, I guess my biggest problem with this movie 
is the Noah Taylor stuff because it's like okay, the last like again the inception point being that like when he wakes up from the gutter, but then we're told we have to we have to assume that Noah Taylor is a reliable narrator, right? I yeah, that's how I took it. It's not inferred at all that he's lying to us or he's he's deceiving the audience or Tom Cruise. Yeah, especially him being you know tech support and him having to be called by Tom Cruise. I took that as as um, truthful. Yeah, and but then we have the whole thing that like okay, Penelope Cruz is so turned off by him earlier in the film when she literally runs away from him in the street. Mm-hmm. Like both her and Jason Lee sprint out of the scene. Yeah, and then like, are we told how long the time is between that moment and when he eventually kills himself? Are we told if there any sort of mm, time frame? We I might be, so. but I, I I can't think. I think if it is, it's a very brief line. But the overarching idea is that he. Falls into this deep depression. Yeah, the fact that nobody comes to save him after he wakes up in the gutter, and that's why he yeah. picks that, as, and that's why he picks it up as his inception point. Um, but then the things like she comes to the memorial service, but Noah Taylor makes a very big point that she was only there for a few moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she couldn't handle it or something. I think he says. Well, the weird thing is like we, like, yeah, he says something like that, but it doesn't match up with how she's acting because at that moment in the film, it's meant to show Tom Cruise. That even though he was this kind of like, oh god, like womanizer, that kind of like nobody really liked in earnest. They only kind of kept him around because of just this like, uh, I don't know, like kind of like the energy, like very Tom Cruise esque. I guess that's yeah. maybe Tom Cruise. He has this kind of just like energy to him. This like he was of, rich, like, he was famous, he would throw these great parties. You know, he, he was a cult of he, personality in yeah, a way. Like, yeah, yeah. People were drawn to him. But then like it's like she walks into his apartment. And kind of just like walks in. Now I remember, like you said, Noah Taylor says she was kind of like upset, but she walks in, sees Jason Lee, kind of like looks down, smiles, and then kind of like skips out of there. And it's like, oh, that doesn't really like what we're seeing doesn't line up with what we're being told. Yeah, yeah, I I agree for sure, and that's that's one another reason where it's like, oh, is there something else going on here that we should be getting at? But it's not explicit enough, or it doesn't have enough strands for us to actually grab onto it. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's kind of the idea. That, like Noah Taylor is like, oh, like she was like devastated when you died, and it's like, well, then why'd she why'd she run away from him and like in the gutter? Like I get it, he was drunk, but it's like, why why would she run away from him then? Because like that's the weird thing. Yeah. Though, like that that the whole sequence at the nightclub. I have a hard time trying to figure out if that was either a dream on his part or maybe like a hallucination. Uh, because he goes and visits her after the accident at the dance studio, and yes. yes, she's yes, she's put off by his appearance, but not enough to recoil from him. Yeah, she agrees to do something, go out with him, type of thing. Yeah, and then we go to the nightclub, and that at the beginning of the nightclub sequence is really kind of very, oh god, kind of like murky in the sense like it 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 shot and it looks very different from everything else in the film. Oh yeah, 100%. And, and we see him like with the mask on and the mask is like freaking everybody out. And then he like goes to like the other side of the bar. Or no, what happens is I'm, I'm I'm kind of remembering it now. He like he goes to them wearing the mask and like yep. it freaks them all out. Jason Lee's like take the mask off. Yeah, he then, goes like, hard on he's like he's like take it off, man. And no, take it off, man. It's bothering me. Take it off. Take it off. <laughs> Yeah, and then like he wakes up from a dream, right? Like he, he like he's like not a dream, but he kind of like he's hallucinating all this, or right? Yeah, there's definitely some weird intercuts 
between when he Jason Lee gets angry at him type of thing, and then there's something happens like an intercut, but then he goes to the other side of the bar yeah. and starts doing all the shots with the bartender. Look at me, bitch. Yeah. Or no, yeah. Say that to my say face. To my face. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then we have that, and he gets drunk with the what? Pa- what's he drinking? Patron. Yeah. If you yeah. have it, he's like, yeah. if you have it. And then he gets drunk, and he goes over, and he sees like Penelope Cruz dancing with somebody. And then I, I don't know. Then the whole thing happens is they're walking back from the nightclub, and he's like, again, in that whole time, he's then he's wearing the mask on the back of his head again, showing the duality, the dichotomy mm-hmm. of just everything. That he can't really pick either identity. He either wants to be disfigured Tom Cruise or he wants to be superficial, superficially pleasant. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise. And I don't know, like that, there's just that nightclub sequence. I think if you, I'm not saying this like in an edit sense, I mean, just kind of like analyzing the meaning of the film way. If you take the nightclub sequence out, I think the movie makes a lot more sense. Mm, okay. Because that nightclub sequence just throws everything off. And by nightclub, I mean like everything from the nightclub up until like when Jason Lee and Penelope Cruz run away from him. Sure, sure. Because it doesn't seem like after the accident that minus the nightclub sequences that Penelope Cruz is really that turned off by him. Like, yes, of yeah. course, in his lucid dream moment, she's like, I would have preferred like pretty Tom Cruise because I, I, who wouldn't? But whether it be at the dance studio or when she goes to his memorial service, she doesn't seem like hugely turned off by all this. That's a really good point, because if, it, if we remove the nightclub scene and we just made it where Tom Cruise, disfigured Tom, Tom Cruise, goes out to a bar to drown his sorrows and then ends up, you know, passed out in a gutter somewhere and wakes up and Penelope Cruise is just there, ready to accept him, that would make more sense, you know? It, rather than that hard cut of, you know, well, how does that real-life stuff before that inception point, jive with, you know, his death. So, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. That's what I mean. That nightclub sequence just throws me off. It's like, okay, what are we getting at here? Because the whole point of them in the first, like, what, 40 minutes is when he goes back to her apartment, like you said, the caricatures, again, showing the duality, is that she draws him and it's a caricature, and he draws her and she's perfect. Again, the duality of it all. Mm -hmm. But it's the fact that she... She's more because even after like okay, what's he say a couple of times? He's a pleasure delayer, and yeah. as he walks out of her apartment, he starts. She starts to freak out, like in a good way. And yeah, doing the uh, the whole like once they're gone, get excited. You know, you hang up yeah. the phone after you get uh, accepted for a date, and then you you do the little dance type of thing. Yeah, yep. the happy dance, and that's the whole thing. Though is that their connection is supposed to be much deeper than the superficiality of it all. So it makes it so weird that maybe during the nightclub sequence she's turned off by, and, and she says that in the lucid dream, but we can't. That's not her though, so we can't assume that. Yeah, it, there's no point in this where Noah Taylor says like, "Okay, we have her memories, or we can we consult." Like, part of your thing is we consult with the people you love, and we create some sort of computer program that's an extension of them. So I again, I don't know. Like that's that's the weird thing. Like maybe she finds his personality ugly at that moment that he falls into that depression because she says that in the lucid part, the lucid dream parts. But we don't ever hear her say that. Mm-hmm, so I, I don't know. Like that's just she seems to be enamored with him, and that's the big point of their 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 moment in the apartment in the beginning is that they have a deeper connection beyond the fact they're just two gorgeous looking people. Yeah, yeah. They actually uh, understand each other to some extent. Yet their entire relationship dissolves because they're both turned off based on physical appearances. 
She yeah. can't handle. She can't handle the fact that he's dis- disfigured, and he can't handle the fact that he's disfigured. Yep. Yeah, that's like, that's a, now that I think about it more, that whole nightclub scene, you know, it doesn't really add much of anything. Um, even you know, we get him. Yeah, he gets drunk. He drowns his sorrows. What we get the scene where someone screams at him, "Fix your fucking face!" Yes, for a, for a laugh, I guess. Um, he he's a little. I don't know. He's not even that much of like a dick or anything to her. He's just kind of like you know, oh, I want to, I want to be the way we used to be. And she's like, no. And he goes, what's wrong? She goes, oh, I'll tell you later when we're different life when we're both cats or something like yes. that. Yes. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing you can say to somebody. If they ever say, I'll tell you in another life when we're cats, your only, the only response you can say is, okay? It has to have that question mark at the end. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wait, what, what's wrong? Is it me? Is it me? I'll tell you later. No, no, tell me now. I'll tell you if, later. If something's wrong, please tell me now. Everything. Tell Let's tell it, talk about it I'll all right now. Let's just talk I'll about everything. Later. Let's get it all out. Say everything now. Let's just, just. David. Say everything. Say everything now. Now, now, now. I'll tell you in another life when we are both cats. I can't believe you just said that. That is the greatest thing that I've ever heard. That's hilarious that you said that. I, I, I do have to mention, I'd be remiss if I did not. Uh, the guy that when right before that line happens, when Tom Cruise drunkenly walks up to Penelope Cruz and she's talking to someone else, the, the guy that she's talking to or dancing with or something like that is none other than William Mapother. As everybody knows, played Ethan Rom on Lost. So I had to point that out. But it turns out, Zach, which I never knew until this, he's actually Tom Cruise's cousin. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I never knew that. that he, I, apparently he's in some Mission Impossible movies, and so they're related, and so I, I never knew that. So good on you, nightclub scene. You taught me something. <laughs> Not about this go, movie, folks. but just in general. <laughs> the more you know, folks. Some bar, somewhere Rob's going to win bar trivia thanks to Vanilla Sky. Perfect. Who is Tom Cruise's cousin that starred in Lost and a bunch of the Mission Impossible movies? <laughs> Yeah, you're right, though. I think, you know, if we removed that and, one, that would trim down the movie a little bit, and then, two, we could keep the same idea of, you know, his life is going in a downward spiral, and it suddenly picks back up into this great kind of thing, Um, you know, more of that uh, instance where we can get, okay, his lucid dream starts, things are going okay, but then the glitch happens with the people switching places and stuff. With that whole nightclub scene, you're kind of like, this just seems like a, a roller coaster ride, almost. Well, that's the thing, though. Is like, I think the whole, like, when you boil that scene down to its essence is that it's supposed to show that he's, like, like his insecurities are suffocating her. And she's such a free spirit based on the fact that, again, we can't argue, too, that, like, you look at her apartment, everything's just kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And she said, and what's the line? She says, like, oh, I have to, like, work 50 hours a week to maintain this place, to maintain just even be able to live here. So I don't have yeah. time to really focus on anything else. She's a, de- yeah. she's a dental assistant by day and a dancer by night. <laughs> Yeah, and then you look at his apartment, and like everything is so like in its place. Even he has what the shattered guitar pieces, and it's in a case. Again, the duality of it all. She has everything mm-hmm. all over the place. He has something that's be that's broken, deliberately contained. And oh, again, yeah. a, a lot of neat imagery here. And again, the nightclub sequence. I don't think on a on a ideal level that's bad. The whole point of that sequence is his. Oh, God, insecurities is suffocating her. 
and she can't deal with that, but there's got to be a more coherent or intentionally ambiguous way to handle it than the way that's handled in the movie. Exactly, exactly. Because you do, you have the weird thing with him and the bartender, then you have the weird thing with the dancing. I mean, I get this movie's trying to, again, it's trying to be edgy. Like, you want, like, a bunch of, like, young people to see this. I would imagine probably the nightclub sequence is probably in a lot of the trailers. Um, But I don't know, though. I I think that sequence maybe worked at the time at the detriment to the film's overall lasting power. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, in the... um the the alternate ending i believe it's called the stuff that's added is just at the end you know it doesn't change anything um prior to the le stuff but it would have been interesting to see a kind of more of um of a i don't know refined that might not be the best word but that's what's coming to mind version of that stuff maybe a little more condensed to get to that ending because the alternate ending really drags out the whole realization that this is not real life type of thing Hmm. rather than just noah taylor going hey this is what's going on you know yeah I get, I, this is also Cameron Crowe at the height of his power. Like, yes, Almost Famous just came out and it bombed, but he still was Cameron Crowe. He had hit all these actors in this film. So he probably figured I can do whatever I want. Okay, okay. I, and I, th- I think and I think that was kind of the attitude with this. This was a, like, okay, it's a vanity project of the highest order. Like, once you get Tom Cruise on board, especially during this time period, nobody's really telling you no. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because even looking at like his directing credits, because he did this, and then after it was uh, Elizabeth Town, which I'm pretty sure I don't think Elizabeth Town did well. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I didn't do well. That's I uh, don't think I've ever heard of that. <laughs> it's, it's Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Okay, is it, it is it sci-fi esque like this, or is it more of the Cameron Crowe I would expect, like the drama stuff? You know? uh, I think it's more drama stuff okay, It's based okay. on the poster I, I've heard of Elizabeth Town a lot But I don't know what it's about I think the um, last Cameron Crowe oh. movie I heard of was uh, Didn't he do We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon? Goddamn right you are Rob Goddamn right The only reason I know about that movie is because uh, The score was done by one of the Sigur Ross guys And the Sigur Ross guy is in it but I've never oh, seen it, okay. I just read about it And and oh don't worry, we're gonna get to the Sigur Ross in this movie Zach Oh no! Um, all right, Elizabeth Town came out in two thousand five. It's listed as an American romantic tragic comedy. <laughs> Th- this is what it's about: it is an aspiring young shoe designer, Orlando Bloom, gets fired from his high-profile job after the failure of his latest project. To make matters worse, his girlfriend Jessica Biel leaves him, and he becomes suicidal. Drew's morbid plans are interrupted by the news of his father's death, and he is called back to his Kentucky hometown. On his flight home, he meets the lovely Kirsten Dunst, a sunny flight attendant who tries to help him embrace life once again. Cost $45 million, grossed 52 So suffice to say, this was a bomb. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've never heard of that in my life, and it doesn't sound like something I'm going to check out. <laughs> I have heard of it before. Um, oh, okay. Then at, after that bombed, he didn't direct another film, like, like an actual film. Not like a, He did a couple documentaries. He did a Pearl Jam movie. Um, but the next one was We Bought a Zoo, and then uh, it was Aloha. Which is apparently so bad. It's the uh, I've never it's heard of the, that either. It's the Bradley Cooper Emma Stone movie, 
where oh god i'm trying i remember okay let me see if i can find a description online because i remember i remember hearing at the time when that was released i remember being because everyone's like oh it's gonna be cameron crowe's like return the form he's got like two like like a-list celebrities he, how could he go wrong he's like in his wheelhouse yeah um I, I love that i love that we don't even need to describe we bought a zoo because the description <laughs> is they buy a zoo <laughs> Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson buy a zoo. Oh man! Cue credits. We saved you two hours. I didn't know you could buy a zoo. I thought zoos were like publicly funded. <laughs> Who knows, Rob? We have enough money. Um, all right, Aloha. While on assignment in Oahu, Hawaii, military contractor Bradley Cooper reconnects with his old flame, Rachel McAdams, now married to an Air Force recruit officer. He also spends time with Allison. Oh yeah, that's. Oh, this is why everybody hates this movie. Emma Stone plays like a native Hawaiian. No one can figure out how. Um, like, because obviously, like, Emma Stone's like pales a ghost. And how, like, yeah. why, that, that's why the critics hate that movie, is because they feel that that was okay. Okay, apparently the dialogue's horrible, but now, okay, it's coming back to me now. That's why the critics dogpiled it, was because how dare you not cast a Hawaiian actress? That was oh, the reason okay. why. What, what was, year was that, Aloha? 2015. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I think it grossed like 20, $26 million in like a. Fifty million dollar budget. So yeah, like like yes, yeah, so they, they they got hit hard with that. Yeah, don't don't whitewash Cameron Crow. Come on, have you learned anything? <laughs> have you learned anything from Gods of Egypt? <laughs> yeah. Wow, I came out May of twenty fifteen. Um, Ramrock, could you imagine that double feature? Get to see Tomorrowland and Aloha. Oh jeez. <laughs> now that's a double feature. See, folks, we picked the wrong we picked the wrong Cameron Crow film to be discussing this week. <laughs> Was that the last Aloha? Was the last yep. of his uh, so far? Okay. Yeah, he did uh, a a roadies, which I think was a streaming service show. I think. Okay, I haven't heard of that. Uh, Bad Robot produced it. Yeah, it was on Showtime. I remember hearing about roadies. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was not renewed for a second season. Go figure. <laughs> and uh, he did David Crosby, Remember My Name, which is and he's producing that as a documentary. But no, the last thing he's okay. directed as as a film was Aloha, and the last like as actual production he directed was Roadies. Okay, interesting, interesting. So yeah, Cameron Crowe, his, uh, he's he's in a bit of a bind right now. He really hasn't had a hit since this. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, We Bought a Zoo made some money. We Bought oh, okay. a Zoo is like $50 million budget, grossed 120. So that's... Uh, mm, wow, that, I, that's, I never would have guessed that. I, uh, I remember seeing marketing for that movie and just being like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It's one of those ones you can't... You hear the title and you're like, what? yeah, it's, it's a what the hell. Yeah. Um, oh, ooh, 120 worldwide, not domestic. Ooh. Uh, no, that movie did not make money. $50 million? <laughs> no, they, someone lost much. Yeah, he has not had a hit since, since Vanilla Sky. So what we're saying is he has to come out with um, Chocolate Horizon or Butterscotch Vista, the sequel to Vanilla yes! Sky. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it starts right where this movie ends with Tom Cruise opening his eyes. He wait, He opens his eyes. And it's, just, it's, it's a Tom Cruise mummy. That's what it is. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Welcome to the dark universe, Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh man, Rob, Rob, you know about the dark universe? Uh, just from us talking about it, I think. <laughs> I, I thought it was just legend. <laughs> I think uh, now it's legend, right? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I forget. I forget. Somebody online had a T-shirt of that made. Now, I start after, every once in a while it shows up online. I might start laughing. The idea of having a dark universe T-shirt. Um, we'll never get that that Johnny Depp Invisible Man movie. Can you imagine that, Rob? Imagine Johnny Depp was the Invisible Man from Amazon Women on the Moon. <laughs> Ed Begley Jr. running around naked, knocking stuff yes. over. Yes. <laughs> now that, that would be something to see. 
That's $200 million opening weekend there, folks. Naked Johnny Depp, invisible, just running around yelling at people. I, I, I don't know. I feel like if we uh, could film Johnny Depp candidly in his home, wouldn't we get something similar to that? <laughs> we uh, uh, Allegedly. <laughs> we pay Johnny Depp $50 million just to CGI him out of the, out of the movie to say he's invisible walking around. <laughs> we see a cup of coffee. We see a bottle of gin like, being picked up, and it's like, aha, is it Johnny Depp? We don't know. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, but can you? I, we should make Hollow Man what two or three, and we say Johnny Depp is starred, but we don't. Have to, we, we don't have to hire him. We just pay to say he's in the movie. Yeah, if we get a, a face cast, like a you know a face mold, you know, like Kevin Bacon had that weird wax head thing, that'll it, do. Put it on anybody; it'll work. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna make that's the cinema. He's another one of our films. We need to hit up Mark Cuban. We're making Hollow Man three or The Invisible Man twelve. Starring Johnny Depp, but he's gonna have no involvement with the production whatsoever. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's the it's best somebody, way. It's somebody we got our life cast from like a Jack Sparrow mask from like 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Uh all right, Rob. So uh I really outside maybe highlighting a couple of things here and there, I I really have nothing else to say about this movie. So I um I did want uh Two, two questions for, I did want to highlight some stuff for sure, and I think we'll get there, um, definitely. But I did want to ask you two things. Um, one, did you watch the alternate ending? Not saying, did you watch the whole movie with the alternate ending, but did you go and look up those scenes or anything like that? I, I wanted to, but I did not get to it. Okay. Um, I think the, um, the, the things that stood out to me, um, because I watched it once, I watched this movie twice, once the full cut, or the theatrical, I guess, and once with the alternate ending that like someone spliced together. Um, I don't think it was the actual rip from the Blu-ray, but the the alternate ending um, adds a scene. It adds to the good vibration scene, and I thought it was really interesting because good vibration starts to play, and Tom Cruise is like, I can hear it, I can hear good vibrations, and Kurt Russell tries to convince him that there is no music, and it's a really neat scene. Um, I also really liked in the, I think it was just in the alternate ending, Tom Cruise like runs down to the bottom of the um, the life extension uh, building, and all the he gets the gun because he's running for Michael Shannon, who's the guard. Well, I mm-hmm. guess we should also say young Michael Shannon was very <laughs> great to see in this movie. Um, but he's running from the the guard, and he gets down to the bottom floor, and there's a quick shot where Michael Shannon gets off the elevator as he's chasing Tom Cruise, and he pulls out his gun, and he says something like, "I've been waiting to shoot this guy since he came into the prison." <laughs> Back off! I got a gun! Back off! I think I'm gonna kill somebody! Take support! I've been dying to do this since we first met. And that was good. Um, But the other thing that stood out to me was in that ending montage in both versions when Tom Cruise jumps from the roof and he's screaming, I want to wake up and we get that this, the Sigur Ross music and we get all those flashes of, of just random things. There is a flash in there of a, of like a boy's face, like a little boy holding a red balloon. And that does not appear in the theatrical cut. That wow. kid with the red balloon is someone who's like held hostage by Tom Cruise when he gets a gun in the alternate ending version. Oh, And I thought that was pretty interesting because Tom Cruise gets a gun and he's like, I can shoot whoever I want. This isn't real life. Nothing matters. And there's like a woman with her kid and it's the kid with the red balloon. 
and the woman's cowering in fear and he, like he's just holding the kid in the corner like out of the line of fire and the kid is just blank staring like right at Tom Cruise like he has no emotion and that's where that little shot comes from when Tom Cruise oh. is falling off the roof and I thought that was really neat I thought that was like oh wow that added a little bit where Tom Cruise is going through all these flashes and something he sees as he's falling is that you know emotionless face of this kid in the in when presented with danger and I thought that was pretty interesting Huh, how about that? Yeah, because I wanted to watch the alternate ending. I checked my DVD, and I, like you said, it told me on the Blu-ray. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can just say I do. I, I mentioned it earlier. I had the DVD. I was thinking about like getting the Blu-ray, and I saw like the picture quality isn't that great, and the only like additional bonus feature is the ending. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, I like this movie, but I don't like it that much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hang on to the Fye DVD for the foreseeable future. Perfect. Oh yeah, keep that receipt. I hope it's like in the case too. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, it's is. Let's, let's see Perfect. what's going on. Let's see. I uh, the cashier was Elena. Um, I wonder if she still works there. Um, oh, I forgot. Fye's out of business. No, <laughs> she does not work there anymore. I hope um, she got a good severance package. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she got one copy of Vanilla Sky. That was yeah. her uh, severance package. Um, it cost me four ninety nine. Okay. And I purchased this on December second, twenty ten. I gotta see what day day of the year that was. Let's say 2000. Oh my God, right? I, keep, I just kept him to Oh my God, right? I have to keep clicking and clicking on the computer. December 2nd was a Thursday at 10. Th- Why was it FYE on a Thursday at 10 30 in the morning? <laughs> How, what? I'm, I'm so confused right now. That's good. <laughs> December 2nd, 2010 was a Thursday and it says 10 35. Why was I there at 10 30 in the morning? God, this wasn't even like why this wasn't even like back when I used to go to the gym at the mall where I, I it would make sense for me to be there that time of the morning. Yeah. Mm. Twilight Eclipse on DVD and Blu-ray this Saturday, December 4th. Perfect. <laughs> Unopened merchandise may be returned or exchanged within 30 days of purchase with the original receipt. Uh-oh. I think you I think you missed that one. <laughs> Two-year replacement plan. I think I missed that too. Yeah. <laughs> I should go back with the receipt, but I'd like to return this. Yeah, is, is FYE on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think I've ever said this before. Um, weird. Okay, it has to come up now that it's an FYE. Quick Zach story tangent. When I was in college, we went to like a marketing agency in Albany, like on like a quasi field trip. And the person I spoke, one of the people that was there, the company, they ran the Twitter account for FYE. Ooh. And I'm like, oh. And they're like, and this woman, Again, I, I, she had to be like in her late twenties, maybe early thirties. She's like, yeah, like when we post things online, we try. This is like, this is what 2013. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's just, streaming was still just kind of people were people stream stuff, but it was still picking up. It's nowhere near as ubiquitous as it is now. Sure. And she, and she's like, did you know like you can go to like Fye and get like the entire like series of like House for like forty dollars? Like I got like all eight seasons for like forty bucks and five bucks <laughs> yeah. a piece. I was, I was about to say five bucks a season. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I tried telling her, I'm like, yeah, it's a great way to pitch things to people. And I'm like, and she it just went over her head. I, I mean, like, she's just like, woo. Like, she had like, like no idea. <laughs> she's like, and I, I, I kept trying to, you know, it was that she didn't say that. I said that to her. I'm like, yeah, you can get like all these shows like really cheap and you don't have to worry about losing them. And she just kind of gave me this blank stare. And I'm like, well, you don't understand your job. That, yeah. It wasn't her. It wasn't her who said that. It was me who said that to her. Oh, oh, wow! That That's just seems like was. if your if your business is going out, like, aren't you trying to advertise that stuff? You know, is I remember she... when Circuit City was going out of business on uh, Route Nine up by the mall. We always talk about that whole side of the damn building had a going out of business sign on it. Yep. 
Yeah, I guess I should say that uh, this was back in 2013. If you wonder why there's no more FYEs, this was their marketing six years ago. So uh, <laughs> they, could have advertised, they could have advertised the house box set for $40, but they continued to advertise seven track CDs for $28. <laughs> it's weird. Like, because every, every once in a while, I'll, um, like, when it comes to, like, my action figure collecting, I'll see stuff. People, like, go in there because they, they sell action figure stuff. Yeah. And it's, like, Marvel, Marvel figure, like, $19.99 at Target. FYE, $32.99. And it's, like, I, I get it. Like, y- you need to make money, mm-hmm. but this isn't the way to do it. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Yeah, the FYE. Did I ever tell you the story about the woman? This is my freshman year of college. It has to do with Twin Peaks. There was a woman who worked there. And this is before, like, unlike Rob, I was, as I've said numerous times, I wasn't torrenting out of the womb. So, like, I'd always find things at FYE that I wanted, but also if they asked, I asked them if they ever had things in stock. Yeah. And there was a woman who worked there freshman year, and she had to be a college student. She just looked like a college student. She had to be at least six foot tall. Sure. And I remember asking her, like, I, I used to ask her if they had things in stock, and she like, she was one of those ones that always told me immediately no. Oh, okay. She was one of those. But, like, yeah. I, it, as, as from my receipt, I always went in there, like, at times when they were never busy. So it wasn't like I was ever holding up a line or keeping her from her duties. Mm-hmm. Like, anytime I'd ask for something, she'd always, like, tell me no. And I remember once I, I found the soundtrack to the original Twin Peaks there, and I bought it. Nice. And it's the only time she ever treated me like a human being she's like oh my god she's like this is an excellent choice she's like how much david lynch do you watch and i'm like yeah I, I know a thing or two she's like oh i've read the stories about like fire walk with me that it was booed at con and like it was the only time she ever talked to me and i was in there oh, a lot I, I have so many dvds from like the first couple years of there um from college but it was the i, I don't think she, i think she, she must have been in college because she disappeared after freshman year sure um but yeah fye man i spent a lot of time in that store <laughs> when we eventually get when we eventually get to the Inland Empire episode, there'll be an entire dis- discussion about that store and how they always they always had the things I wanted when somebody else was looking for them and I could never get them. But okay, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Sure, sure. Oh, good old FYE. Yep, <laughs> where I found the thumb movies. <laughs> See, folks, it, it's the bane of Cinemati's existence. Absolutely. All right. So, I, I, other than the alternate ending, there was one other question I had for you, Zach. Um, this probably would have fit better at the beginning of this discussion, but um, I'm glad we talked about this movie. Last week, you said something about this movie, and you also texted it to me. You said I was going to hate this movie. Clearly, shocked. clearly shocked I did not. I, I, I wouldn't say I loved this movie. I was totally intrigued and enthralled by it. Um, I definitely, you know, once we get to our questions, that'll reflect. But I wanted to ask you, Zach, Zach, once I, the first time I watched this and enjoyed it, I was like, was Zach doing like a reverse psychology thing on me here? Or did you really think I was going to hate it? Oh, no, I thought you were going to hate it, especially okay. after, the tomorrow, after the Tomorrowland discussion. Oh, 110%. Rob, we started off before we recorded me being like, Rob, are you going to be okay next week when we talk about Charlie's Angels full throttle? <laughs> that's that's true. That's that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrowland. That that's a no no. That's a what was my answer to the late night? No more watch, please, or something like that. Bad um, touch. So yeah, bad touch. No. So good. I'm glad uh, I like this. I didn't know if you were doing a reverse psychology. If you were, it worked. <laughs> I'm glad. I am glad. Perfect. All right. Well, then I think uh, the last thing I wanted to do was um, some highlights, some some specific stuff that stood out to to us. I, I think. Um, one of them I, I have to I have to mention because it just 
infuriated me. It's the first scene where Tom Cruise goes back to Penelope Cruz's apartment and they're talking and, you know, they're doing their little kind of back and forth, you know, flirtatious type of stuff. And she's talking about how her apartment is a mess. And like we said before, she has to work all around the clock to keep it. And there's she's talking and she's moving around her apartment and she's like slowly kind of spinning around. Like you said, um, what did you say? Pixie before? Was yeah, that very the pic- pixie-esque, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she's very light on her feet. You know, it makes sense. She's a dancer. And she's we're watching her whole body talk, like move, and she's talking. And then there's an incredibly hard cut to just her feet picking up something and putting it in a hamper. And this cut is so hard, it, like, gave me whiplash. And it angered me. I'm just like, could she not do this in real life? Did they need, like, a body double to have her pick something up with her feet? Did this stand out to you at all? I don't even remember that. Okay. I, I, I'll, uh, the first time I watched it and the second time, it's a hard cut to just her feet picking up a piece of clothing with her foot, putting it in a hamper, and her foot going back down. And I'm like, why? That? I'm like, why was there an edit for this? Could Penelope Cruz not, like, flex her toes? It was so strange to me. <laughs> I don't have a timestamp or anything, but that stood out to me hardcore. I'm like, what? What went wrong in this scene that they felt they needed such a hard edit? Um, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> uh, I think we have to talk about Cameron Diaz's monologue a little bit more, right? Oh, absolutely. Abs- oh, 100%. Because once Tom Cruise... So Tom Cruise leaves Penelope Cruz's apartment. Uh, Penelope Cruz does the happy dance, as we described. Uh, as Tom Cruise is getting into his car, Cameron Diaz pulls up because she's the stalker. And they have a little back and forth, and eventually Tom Cruise decides to get in the car with her, and she goes off on the, you know, our bodies made a promise to each other. And uh, I think I know the answer, but just like at the end of last week's episode, you said that Vanilla Sky has one of the greatest lines of dialogue ever. It's the I swallowed your cum line, right? That's the one you're referring to? <laughs> Do you need to ask, Rob? Exactly. That's, that's, why, that's why I prefaced it with that. This threw me for such a loop at the 40 minute mark of this movie. Like I said, it turned everything around and you're hundred percent right. It comes out of nowhere. She looks at Tom Cruise. She goes, I swallowed your cum. That means something. And I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> you fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. I'm like, this is, this is getting intense now. <laughs> that like, that is such a, like, it's one of those lines of dialogue. Like, if that came out, we've talked about in the past, like, why certain things resonate, especially in today's culture. That's something, if that happened nowadays, like, in any, like, if this happened, like, in the equivalent of a movie that came out in 2019 of the same sort of just, like, prominence, like, I don't know, let's, like, right now, like, Cats. If there's a line of dialogue in Cats where one of the cats is like, I swallowed your cum, that means <laughs> something. Like, that's all everybody would be talking about, being like, this movie's horrible. Oh, yeah. But you got to check out this one scene. Absolutely, yeah. When Honestly, when it kind of hit me just out of nowhere, it, it made me think of, you know, this belongs in something like a men, women, and children. Like we talked about all the girls yes, just yes. talking about the raunchiest thing ever. Like I could all totally imagine the cheerleader, Judy Greer's daughter, being like, and I swallowed his cum. Doesn't that mean something? And it's just like that's what we expect from, not from this weird like love story slash sci-fi thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's like you know what the weird thing though is that like was that I remember okay. 
going back to Chappelle's show when he was talking about like Little John and like skeet 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 and being like you can't sure. say skeet on the radio like when what when white people find out what this means they're gonna be like oh god what have we done <laughs> like is that a word that like mass audiences would have known in 2001 Ooh. like now like nowadays like yeah I, I I get it like nothing's taboo anymore especially things of a sexual nature but like in 2001 like it's funny in the uh blank check episode they were talking about this like the the the, the producer of the show they were asking him when he saw this and he's like oh I saw it the drive-in with like with my girlfriend at the time and one of the people on the call was like can you say the word come at a drive through Like that, that <laughs> like that's like one of the I like, think you know most drive throughs don't play like dirty movies or anything, yeah. anything like really explicit. And that's one of those words that would have been like, did did they go through the print and just cut that out? Mm, like, like that question. That's what I mean. It's like one of those movies that are like I'm not saying like that word's been around for a while, but it's like how used was that word like is commonplace. Yeah, I, I really don't know. That's a good point. I never thought of it of it that way, for sure. It's it's a jar. I would imagine it probably was a lot less jarring then because most people were like, "What? What does mm-hmm. that mean?" Like I like to imagine, it's like grandma and grandpa are like in the theater, like, "Oh, we want to go see the new Tom Cruise movie. It looks so good." And they <laughs> see that, and they're like, "What? Your body makes yeah. a, your body makes a promise when you swallow what?" <laughs> You gotta have sex four times. I haven't had sex four times in my entire fifty-year-old marriage. Oh God! Oh, that's too good. <laughs> I want. Okay, I have a question for Rob about this about this the, having sex four times in one night. Okay, I, I, I there's so many logistical questions. And I honestly think there's not another like great enough person on the face of this earth I could be asking these sort of questions to. <laughs> But before I get into that, I'm, I'm looking. Fye is still in business, by the way. I'm, I'm kind of shocked by this. Oh wow. Yes, they have a website. Um, you can buy yeah. Do they have the um, their last store is in Alaska next to that Blockbuster? <laughs> no, actually, I typed in uh, the zip code of where I went to college in the store. They changed locations in the mall, but it's still they still have a location in the Albany Mall. Um, wow. They actually have like three or four locations, like in like the capital region of New York. Like, go oh my figure. God, there's one in Cheyenne, Wyoming, like half an hour from me, apparently. There you go, Rob. Hot damn. Um, you can buy a copy of uh, The Last Jedi for $26.99, uh, the, the low, low price of. But no, but I t- when, I t- when I went to the store locator, um, I'm shocked to see that Sam Goody is still around as a brand. I know we've talked about this in the past, oh, but fuck. Sam, Sam sorry, Goody is— Sorry, I, I have to just say I clicked on the FYE website, and the first thing it uh, is advertising to me is The Office. So I'm oh, closing I that website. I think I got Star Wars, so uh, somebody knows something on the Fye website. That same woman who's in charge of marketing, she's like, "Aha, I got you now, asshole." Um, but no, Sam Goody apparently is still around as a brand, Jeez. but kind of like what Rob said, only in Oregon and Ohio. <laughs> okay, they used to be they used to be everywhere. Now they're in two locations, Damn. and apparently Suncoast Movies is still around, but only in. Oddly enough, Texas, New Jersey, Nebraska, and Oregon. Oregon seems like the place to be for dying businesses. Yeah, if you have brands that nobody remembers that were popular 30 <laughs> years ago, head to Oregon. You're going to have a, a blast from the past. Yeah, geez. But I, I want it on record that when you type your zip code in, you can filter your stores by three different criteria. Okay. Free Wi-Fi. <laughs> selling used music and movies. Okay, and and this one I'm the most curious about, and I think Rob, I, hopefully Rob will have an answer. 
you can mix and burn. Really? That's what it says. So I'm I I haven't heard of that at a store, but I'm imagining it's like you would pick tracks and they would like burn a CD or something for you. That's the only thing I can assume. Like, it's like you create your own mixtape, so to speak. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, personalized custom mixtape mix CDs. But I have to ask. What? <laughs> in, in in December of 2019. A, who is using CDs? And B, who is going to a store to buy a mixtape CD? Exactly. Like, if I were to go to an FYE and be like, okay, I want to do this, would they be like, sir, we lost those CDs years ago? <laughs> if, if you go in, you know, you have to, you have to say to the person, say, I want to, I want to do a custom mixtape. They're going to go, okay, you know, come back in, um, 15 minutes and they're you're gonna go i didn't tell you any tracks or anything yet and they go no no no. i have to run down to staples to buy some <laughs> blank cds first <laughs> all right sir you want a mixtape cd yes i do please all right i want you to go back to your car go to 88 miles per hour and maybe go back to a date where this is still relevant <laughs> yeah so i uh fye.playanywhere.com yep you can yep, build this all- you get 75 minutes Wow. It's, it's the first the first track is $3.99 plus $1.29 for all the other tracks, it looks like. That's insane. Okay. This is so insane. I'm, uh, oh, I'm committing a Rob. cardinal sin. I'm gonna search a song to see if I can get it on this CD. I searched Baby Shark and nothing came up. Oh no, I found it. It went to artist first. I found it. Okay, Zach, you are getting a 75-minute CD of nothing but baby shark in the mail for Christmas. <laughs> All right, I want on record that I typed 18s in, and it's not doing anything. <laughs> got a search, <laughs> search results, 18s. There were no search results. Oh, <laughs> there were no results for your search when I typed in Huckapoo. That's a bummer. When I type in 18s with a dash for artists, I get Pro Teens, Nashville Teens, 16s, the East Nashville Teens, not to get them confused with the Nashville Teens. <laughs> Oh my god. What the hell is happening, Rob? What the nope. hell is happening? No results for an inferiority complex. Screw you, FYE. <laughs> hey, when when we were sending our music to the aggregator, there was no FYE box. I should get on that. We should complain. <laughs> okay, Rob, what is the typical runtime of an average song? I'd say four minutes. Four minutes, right? Three and a half so to four, yeah, somewhere in there. All right, so our first track is four dollars. Mm-hmm. So you have 75 minus 4, then 71 divided by $1.29. So this CD is going to cost a lot of money. <laughs> so what is this like if you don't know what iTunes is? This is for <laughs> if you don't know what a CD burner is. If you've, if you've just woke up. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like anything, like just having a disk drive would, would count as this. All right, I'm going to uh, announce the formal partnership between... Vanilla Sky and FYE. If you two were locked in cryogenic freeze for 20 years and woke up and you want to still use CDs, but prior to this, you have no idea what a CD burner is, I'd like to introduce you to FYE's Mix and Burn. Hot damn. Oh my God. You can also choose the artwork. <gasps> you can choose. So oh. I, clicked on the, I clicked on the get started button at the top. And the first is you choose your tunes, then you choose the art, then you choose a recipient. That's insane. This is this is 
I don't know what you just like we started this episode. We have no idea what time it is. We're in a time vortex. This is just more evidence that we legitimately are in a time vortex. I like the idea that based on the math, the math, an average song being four minutes and on their their the the price rates, it would cost you twenty seven dollars to get a CD. That's that sounds right for everybody. <laughs> But you could literally buy two like bundles of fifty CDs for less than that. Absolutely, you could you could honestly make a hundred mixtapes for the price of one. And have any choice in music you want. Oh my, this is crazy. Like, if we ordered a CD from this, would they just be like, like not even in store? I mean, like if we bought one from the website, they'd be like, "Are you for real?" You don't even <laughs> get an order confirmation. You get like seriously. We get a phone call like in. in- <laughs> And they'd be like, Are, "Is this is this a prank?" <laughs> I wonder if there's a number you can call. Just keep like, pranking them. I think Robson's ask her how many baby sharks. I want all the baby sharks. <laughs> I want hundred sharks with just baby shark. Oh my god, this is it's insane. insane. How did we, okay, how did we get here from swallowing cum? <laughs> <laughs> this is we, how you I, know- we went from Fye to cum to Fye again. What's going on? If you want to show somebody you really care about them, there's one or two ways to do it. You swallow their cum or you make them an FYE mixtape CD. I bought you an FYE mix and burn. <laughs> that means something. <laughs> we made four mixtape CDs together. <laughs> oh, jeez. Your body makes a promise when you make a mixtape CD. This All is right. insane. <laughs> this is Oh man, the rabbit's hole on Cinemodies, folks. It's fun. Uh, you know what, folks? Much like what we did for Knights of Vader on December Plus, we're going to have the opposite for Cinemodies. Every week in this series <laughs> is going to be prefaced with Rob telling you to go to FYE, get a mix. Go, don't even buy the mixtape CD. Just go to your local FYE and tell them you want a mixtape CD. If they actually start to do it, just laugh and run away. <laughs> yeah, cancel the order at the last moment. <laughs> Oh my god. Ooh, I found I, I found somewhere where we can enter our email address for discounts and news. Ooh. <laughs> oh man, Rob, they don't have 18s, but they have Juliet by LMNT, my second favorite my favorite song oh, yeah. of all time. Okay, okay. So uh I'll do I'll get as many baby sharks on there as I can, and then one of the tracks will randomly be that one. <laughs> oh my god, this is this is bonkers. We gotta pick some of the most obscure music. Maybe they have Crispin Glover. Crispin oh, Clown, clown, clown. Oh, they actually have it. Oh, my. They oh, actually have it. Oh, they, my. They do. The big problem. Question the yeah, solution. Okay. The solution okay. equals let it be. This is amazing. Okay. Well, I'm on the record. Okay. We're going really back into the time machine, folks. That when Rob and I were in high school 10 years ago, I had to buy the CD off eBay because it the, the music wasn't available anywhere. Yep. Yet ten years, that. ten years later, it's available on the goddamn Fye Play Anywhere website. <laughs> you sold out, Kristen Glover. You sold out. Oh, I'm hearing it. I'm doing the thirty second preview of Cloudy bum, Clown bum, Clown bum, right bum, now. Bum 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 bum. Ruben I gave him some soup, <laughs> but he got sick. Oh, this and is asked insane. for its purse. I gave him some soup, but he got worse. It asked for its purse. It got it, but it was empty, so it cried a plenty. I wondered what to do. I didn't know what to think, so I got a drink. And then I showed it something that was round. Then it died, smiled, and fell on the ground. 
Jeez. I, I guess this is a good transition into next week. Isn't Crispin Glover in our movie next week? Yes. Perfect. <laughs> and possibly the greatest cameo. Actually, it's not a cameo. It's just candid footage that they interspliced into the movie. Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> Crispin Glover died in real life after that movie, folks. Nobody, they don't want to say it, but it's a very similar thing that happened to Paul McCartney. Crispin's <laughs> dead. Um, oh, all right. Getting back to uh, Butterscotch Horizon. Uh, Chocolate Horizon, whoever it was, Butterscotch Vista. Uh, all right, Toffee, toffee Panorama. <laughs> there you go. All right, in in the movie, uh, Cameron Diaz makes a very big point of saying they had sex four times one night. Yes. So my question is, to have sex four times one night, because at that prior to this, I thought the record for most amount of sexual encounters was three times from Chappelle's show during greatest what was it greatest <laughs> moments in hookup history. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, what constitutes a sex session? And two, how long does one have to let? La- how long does a sex session have to last to count as it is a time? So my question is, like, I would imagine it's Tom Cruise, it's Cameron Diaz. They're a virile couple. Mm-hmm. I would imagine the average sex sex eh, sex session. Yes, they have a sex session during their sex session. <laughs> but uh, I would imagine it has to last. It has to be satisfying to Cameron Diaz The fact that she's rejecting Jason Lee And he's quite a handsome man himself When he's not with a bunch of chipmunks Sure. So She says four times one night What constitutes night? Are we talking about like like During the winter where it gets dark at like 3pm Are we talking (laughs) about a summer night Where it's like 11pm to like 4am So like My question is Where's the bar, Rob? Where's the Where's the line in the sand for a sex session for Cameron Diaz in this movie? That's a That's a good question. Uh, that's a tough question to answer. Um, because uh, spoiler alert: if you've been listening to this podcast and did not know, Zach and I are both men. Um, so, <laughs> so it's kind of like you know, uh, uh, what does con- does an org- orgasm constitute a sex session? Because you can have. I, to my knowledge, women can have multiple orgasms before a man has an orgasm. Sure, but I, but you know, I feel like if we say it, or uh, the male orgasm is the end of one, one sex session, please, uh, the end of one <laughs> sex session. That you know, probably, uh, I don't know. That seems a little uh, sexist, I guess, or we would get called out for that. So I'm, I'm not sure. The night thing you bring up though is a good point, because, yeah, is it from when like sunset to sunrise? Because then that's 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 a lot of time for, for yeah. four sexual ex- experiences, and especially if you're going for it, like Tom Cruise can take a Viagra or something, regardless of if he needs it or not, and just keep going. Rob, so I, Rob, that might be that might be the, you know what, Rob, we might get sued for that. Tom Cruise does not need any performance enhancing <laughs> drugs. Come on, that's the most. That, come on, Rob. You know what, lawyers? He didn't mean that. He meant allegedly. Allegedly, I, I heard allegedly in there. I'm not sure if anybody else heard, but I, the audio cut out that exact moment. So, so the other, um, perfect cuts out, uh, perfect. Uh, the other thing I think is what about the one sex session? The end is demarcated by both of them sharing a cigarette. So it's like, it's like they have to, regardless of orgasms, like, you know, maybe there's some, maybe there's some penetration, but then they're like, let's stop. Let's have a cigarette. That's one sex session. And then they go back. So I, I don't know. It seems like this is this Cameron Crow. Can we tweet at him? <laughs> yeah, I get to ask Cameron Crow because my other question is too is that she says I swallowed your cum. Like, 
as we've learned from the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing, oral sex is not sex. So does that count? So is there possibly even, is there possibly a mystery orgasm in here? Maybe it was five (laughs) times. They were not even aware of it. Mystery orgasm. (laughs) Come on. Like last last week we, we had Scott E's comment. And I said, if we ever subtitled our episodes, we would use that Rob contends with the uncanny Valley one for dark crystal. I think that this should be vanilla sky colon the case (laughs) of the mystery orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true though. Like I'm not sure about people in our audience though, but like four times sex one night, like you need a lot of orange juice, man. Like, <laughs> like, like that's not just something that happens spontaneously. Like that's that's a goal. Like you gotta work. Like by the f- fourth time, you're working toward that. Like I think there's an episode of Two and a Half Men where I forget whatever happened with Charlie Sheen. Like he's trying to make amends with all of his ex girlfriends, sure. and however that is, he has to have sex with all of them. Or they all invite him in for sex. And at the very end, he's like, I don't know. By the last one, I just faked it and walked out. And that's kind of, that's my question about like, by the fourth time, like you have to be making a conscious effort. It's not like the fourth time having sex in one night, it's no longer spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's um, a, it's a, it's a definitive decision on both parties behalf. Like, it's like, okay, we're like, we're going for this. Like at this point, there's no more passion here. We're doing it just to kind of check it off our bucket list. <laughs> yeah. I I'm also thinking maybe it was like a, um, like just a, a kind of spur of the moment thing in the sense where, you know, they both had sex, they go to sleep. One of them wakes up, initiates sex again, they go to sleep. One of them wakes up, initiates <laughs> sex again, they go to sleep. And it just so happened that it was four <laughs> times in one night, you know? Like, they all just, they were all just, it, like, eternally horny that night? Who knows? I uh, I don't know. It's kind of like, I, maybe he put the Viagra up his butt instead of eating it? Something like that? <laughs> he was snorting it. <laughs> Crushing it up. He's like, it's hold true. on. Hold on, Cameron Diaz. Hold on. <laughs> Let me, get, let me get my mortar and pestle out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Okay, maybe if it looked much like uh, the math we did for the FYE mix and match CD, <laughs> like what's the average length of a sex session? Like maybe it's not even possible to do this. Maybe this is one of those things where it's mathematically impossible to do it four times in one night. Like she seems pretty like this thing that he like when they had sex that night, was that the the aftermath we see at the beginning of the film? Or was this something entirely oh. different? That's a good question. Yeah. Was that, was it like an earlier thing where it was like, we had sex four times that one night once and it's never occurred again, but that was like the peak of our sexual activity. Mm. Exactly. Tom Cruise was kind of like a uh, dehydrated husk. If you ever seen like, was it scary moody, scary movie where the guy like blows his wide and he he literally see himself drained. Maybe that's what Tom Cruise was. Maybe that's what killed him. Maybe the car thing is just a metaphor. Maybe he literally died of just like being like, Devoid of bodily fluids. <laughs> oh man! Oh geez, this is this is what should have been in the alternate ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just Penelope Cruz and Jason Lee at like a table at a coffee like house, being like, "How is this possible?" Like after Kurt, a while, Kurt, Kurt Russell's interviewing him, <laughs> and he's like, "And he's like, this doesn't make sense, David. <laughs> David, you can't have sex four times in one night." Show me your face, David. <laughs> After a while, it's just like Cameron Diaz is like, there's, there wasn't enough. I, I, it was like, oh God, carpet, carpet burn. After a while, I couldn't walk straight. Every time I worked, it, every time I walked that next day, it hurt. Oh jeez. Welcome to the new year of cinema. <laughs> we've, we've talked about sex more on this episode than all of our previous ninety six, something like that. <laughs> Folks, come on. 
like you know we have to we have to do a poll for cinemodies like pick our top four like favorite quotes from like whatever we've discussed whether it be the merman i swallowed your cum like what other what other great cinemodies quotes do we have that we've played like ad nauseum oh um the annihilation <laughs> sound <laughs> That's, that's that's not a quote. Yeah, I know. That's, that's not a, a quote. My mind. Yeah. That's a sound effect. Uh, no, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, I'll have to. I think I've started digging some of those up for our two year anniversary. But um, yeah, you know the ham, um, the mermaid. Of course, the ham. It. Yeah, uh, there's probably there's got to be some from way back in the in the beginning that we've forgotten about. I, right? We have we have to go to the Cinematis canon and be like, what what the hell? Like, come on, there's got to be some like truly like our best like moments on here. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah. said we got to do a poll, I thought you were going to say we got to do a poll and ask people if uh, you can have sex four times in one night. <laughs> well, you can, we can always ask that as well. Bonus points if you answer that question. Yeah. We could do a poll and be like, is, does swallowing cum mean anything? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be subjective, right? In, in the scene, Tom Cruise is like, what is she talking about? <laughs> no, what you do, folks, if somebody ever asks you if they're driving like 80 miles per hour through like Midtown, being like, do you love me? You immediately tell them, yes. Yes, I love you. I love you. <laughs> nothing yeah. says you, nothing means I love you. Like screaming at somebody is you, it, while you're in mortal danger. Yeah, doesn't he say, he's like, yes, fine. I love you. Now slow the car down or pull <laughs> over. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. Some other Cinematis quotes. We have uh, uh, Halloween 3 season of the witch. Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? Oh, of course, of course. That's, that's a gem. Um, we've got Terminator. Well, we didn't really discuss it on here, but we have to discuss it. We have, uh, is this your Terminator wife? Is this your yep. Terminator baby? But that's not yeah, We really got that clip to... in last week, but I think that was the first time ever it was the clip was in there on Cinemodities. Yeah, we have Ted Bundy's uh, Holy Shit, Look at That. <laughs> of course. I'm trying to think from like, like specific quotes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Keen Peel, the Terry's, but that's not, we haven't really like abused that. Sure, sure. And yeah, that's really more of the whole, whole atmosphere of that. Yep. Sure. We have Vox Lux. Uh, are you retarded or something? Oh yeah. You get that look in your eyes where they just glaze over like the world's just happening to you. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that is a cinematic quote. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fantastic insult. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to use that more often. I guess Kung Pao maybe. Oh yeah, maybe. Uh, if, if I think uh, in that episode, I say that's a lot of nuts a good bit of times. That's what that always sticks out to me. Sure. From that well, movie, I, I guess we have uh, thanks killing. Oh well, fuck Billy, we go to the, the library. library. <laughs> and uh, and the John <clears throat> Bonet Ramsey joke from Thanks Killing. As sure, well. sure. I'm trying to think, nothing from Goosebumps. I guess trapped in the closet. Maybe E major all day. E major all day. Yep. Uh, anything about big man? You know, big man. Yep. I the guess package. The oh, the package. The package. You got the package from, yeah, Trapped in the Closet. The, the, the package. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God, what else was there? Uh, a Sicario. What was it? Uh, Sicario Dose, F it all. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm trying to do, is there anything from Giant, the Jurassic World 2 Dinosaur Boogaloo? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think we, the, the only, mm, there was that quote from the, um, the, the dinosaur doctor, where it was like, oh. I'm a dinosaur doctor. 
no, I've never seen a dinosaur. That one, I think we made fun of okay. that a good bit. <laughs> sure. Uh, claws. I, 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 oh, honey, I'll give you my asshole. Oh, and, some, and some fried <laughs> peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> yes, that's, but we haven't really abused a lot of these. So like Merman's kind of the biggest one I can think of. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, like, again, there's, there's quotes from movies like Men, Women, and Children, like we've said before. Like, if I could find the hole. Yep, yep. Yeah, but like, really. How do you like your eggs? <laughs> how, do you, how do you like your eggs? But really, the best ones you're right, you can think of is uh, the Annihilation sound. This ham was delicious. Merman. Mm-hmm. And I swallowed your cum. That's kind of the, the cinema. Those are kind of like, we've had yeah. those, like, like the letters brass hung on the wall when you walk in, like all of our inspirational quotes when you walk into the restaurant. That's that's what it is right now. We have uh, this ham is delicious, which I don't oh. think we offer. Do we offer ham on the menu? I don't, I don't remember. But you, w- this whole discussion is now making me think of our, our first year anniversary episode where I did your performance review, which was made up of quotes. Oh. Um, and oh. I, I'm, I'm remembering we had uh, from Total Recall, two weeks. Yes, two weeks. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really remember much of my performance review for you, though. <laughs> Other than that, right. I know I know Merman got in there for sure. I re- okay, so so the the four quotes we have right now is I had no idea he was a merman. This <laughs> ham is delicious. Mm. The, the annihilation <laughs> down. Which I'm not. How do you how do we type that? How do we type out what 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 what? Every one of our fans just has to know what that is. It's in their heads. It's like we said, it's that Pavlovian training <laughs> performed for them. <laughs> but if we have it on, like, how do we have that at the restaurant though? Like as a mural, is it, is it just constantly playing it or, 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 we, or need, people, we need, it just says system. annihilation. It just says annihilation sound and the restaurateurs hear it. Yeah, like in brackets or something, like a subtitle, you know, when it says yes. like scary music plays, it's like annihilation sound. <laughs> yes, and people automatically hear it. Okay, good, good. And then last but not least, I swallowed your cum. That means something. <laughs> <laughs> you fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. Much how Rob said, like, what was it after Fantastic, the post coitus viewing of uh, Fantastic Planet? Yeah, we do. We need. Okay, we can't. Okay, folks, we're not for legal reasons. We can't ask you to do this. Don't do this, please. Don't do it though. But somebody needs to try that. Be like, like if somebody's ever breaking up with you, be like, I swallowed your cum. That means <laughs> something. Like, has that ever worked? Like, has anybody ever salvaged a breakup using that quote before? Like, I, I need to know. I uh, yeah, I don't Allegedly. know where. I don't know where that line came from. Uh, that line has certainly never been uttered to me <laughs> or by me. Uh, so who knows? <laughs> that's one of those things. Like that's kind of one. Of those, there needs to be a. Like, how much grant money do we need, Rob, to figure that out? If that's ever been used before. Earnestly, this, not like this is a pitch we have to uh, uh, figure out how to word correctly for Mark Cuban <laughs> and Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> we go in there. It's like these next investors from Cinemates Incorporated have need grant money for a survey. You go and like, so what is it you want to do again? Well, there's this movie called Vanilla Sky. <laughs> there's a there's a line of dialogue said that we're really fascinated about, and yeah, we not for the bust our thesaurus out to write that grant proposal correctly. What we call it, what sounds good like sexual anthropology? Does that sound appropriate? <laughs> like like we need a way to frame this so that it'll sound professional. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's great. It's great. 
Jeez. <laughs> oh my god, this movie fucks. This, that, that's just, you know what the sad thing is? That this movie's actually pretty good, but sadly it will always be remembered because of that one line of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, comes out of nowhere, hits you like a ton of bricks, and it it switches the toe. It's the it's the um it's like the rail switch for the movie. You're on completely different tracks after that's uttered. Much like the sexual fluid that Cameron Diaz ingested, that moment swallowed this entire movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my god, great. <laughs> All right, Rob, we're gonna do snacks first because I want I want to get in here before Rob steals it from me. We're we're offering uh, white Russians at the restaurant, but we're calling it. I swallowed your cum. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. it. Okay. I'm, that's my that's my snack idea. I'm out. Okay. I like it. So so you're saying that the, the name on the menu, like the, the menu words on the menu would be I swallowed your cum, like past tense? Yes. And, okay. and it's a white Russian. There's nothing sexual. Nobody nobody's doing anything. It's probably one of the very few things on the restaurant that doesn't have some sort of bodily fluid from the 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 employees. But uh yes, we're <laughs> we are offering that. Okay, okay. I can get behind that for sure. Um that was the only one you had, you said? Yes. I cause I realize there's nothing I can do to top that. That's that's sure. it. Sure. Oh, I'm out. Okay. So I, I actually had a tough time with snacks in this one as well. Um, because there's not too much food. You know, like we mentioned before, there's the Jack and Coke and sure, I think we have the bar with the untrained bartenders from Dragon Blade or something that Scott E recommended. Um, which is where we'll get our white Russians and Jack and Cokes and all that stuff. But, you know, while I even watched it the second time trying to think of snacks, nothing really came to mind. I do want to point out that at the beginning of the movie, when Tom Cruise pulls up for his board meeting, like outside of his um, magazine's building, there is like a a dude with a food cart ready to go, like roadside service. That I definitely found interesting. And I was trying to tie that into there, but I don't, I don't want to do that for our customers, you know? The customers have to go into the restaurant to get the food, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, so so I kind of I toyed around with that, but I ended up throwing that away because that's something more for us. Like, when we pull up for the board meetings at the Cinemati restaurant, Cinemati's restaurant, then absolutely, we better have that roadside service, you know, some some mini caviar glory hole ready to go for us type of thing. <laughs> that's so, a beautiful notion. Yes. What I decided upon was... I, I'm not sure if this would be a specific meal or some type of add-on to a meal, but I really like the idea of a customer can do something or request something that would result in them having to eat their meal while wearing the facial prosthesis mask. Like, they have to eat through that stationary mask that Tom Cruise wears. And, of course, that would make it insanely difficult. Um, but I was trying... To, that's what I was trying to go for, was, you know, maybe, um, you know, it's like, oh, I'll take the... Uh, the uh, the the goosebumps you know uh, haunted camera f- platter or dish, but I'd like to do the add-on of the vanilla sky, and the add-on of the vanilla sky is you have to wear this mask while you eat your food type of thing. Because one, I, I guess I didn't mention it before, I really do like the look of the mask on Tom Cruise's face when it's on his face and on the back of his head. I really think it looks like a, a neat uh, visual, and so I was trying to get that in there where we'd have to you know have a bunch of customers in our restaurant with this mask on their face. Because one, it's going to make it harder to eat. And then two, when Law & Order Cinemodities starts, it's going to be even more difficult for uh, identification purposes. You know, just to add some suspense to those episodes. What do you think? I think I haven't figured out. What okay. we do is we offer a, a, oh God, a like, oh God. Oh God, what's it called like in restaurants when you have like the highest tier? Five, okay, we offer a five-star delicacy meal. Like the best cut meats. 
best mm. vegetables, mm. all this for like $14.99. There's no tricks. There's nothing wrong with the food. It's not made out of like human flesh or rat meat or any of our other like <laughs> sicko fantasies. But you have to wear the Tom Cruise mask while you're eating it and you have to finish it all. So it's like uh, you're living in the life you're living the life of luxury, but you're hindered with this deformity, the deformity being the mask. Exactly. Oh, so you, yeah, get, you okay. get a fantastic meal at a great price, but you're in absolute misery while you're trying to eat it. I like that. I, and you said you had, you were making them finish it all. Yes. That's I like that idea. A restaurant making their customers like finish all their food. <laughs> and I want noted that you brought it up with the mask from Goosebumps. We forgot one of our greatest quotes. Carly, Carly Beth. Beth, of course. Carly She's up Beth. There too. Oh, Wonder Woman. It's been Wonder forever. Woman. It's yeah. all coming back to us, folks. See? <laughs> yep. Carly, Carly Beth probably being, in all honesty, when it comes to most of our correspondence with our fans, Carly Beth is the biggest one. Like that oh, is uh, Carly Beth. Carly yeah, Beth. Even, even between us, I, I I text Zach every now and then. You know what the fuck, Carly Beth? <laughs> Danielle. 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 Yes. Yes. I, I don't forgot. know if Zach has uh, heard, but uh, oh, the, I heard. Okay, yes, Danielle. We're always yelling at Danielle. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> you forgot all about the woman, the women quotes. Danielle, Wonder Woman, Carly Beth. Yeah. See, this is this is exactly why I said, you know, we're men. We're talking about sex. We're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> we're in trouble already, folks. Hashtag Cinemati's is canceled in the new decade. Is it all those come out? That whole phrase comes after the hashtag. Yep, all those. <laughs> Perfect. It's, it's it's like, whole it, exactly the entire tweet. <laughs> Oh yeah, so that was the only snack I had, and I think I think you nailed it on the head. We uh, we make it great food, like tr the truly great meal at the restaurant that everybody want, but we hinder the people from eating it. Perfect. I dig it. All right, any other snack items? Can we move on to cinemati and late night movie status? I think I'm ready for cinemati and late night, and uh, I'm going to start off with cinemadities. Uh, I gave it an absolutely, and I even wrote down. Uh, I give it an absolutely, I think for all the reasons I said, but to boil down, I think exactly why I enjoyed this movie. This exists as a weird blend, a really weird blend of shit I hate and shit I love. <laughs> like the sappiness, the, the saccharine, lovey-dovey, oh, I can't stand it. But then the weird sci-fi questioning, I, I was on a roller coaster trying to figure out what was going on in this movie, the incomprehensible part of this incomprehensible blockbuster. This weird baby's first David Lynch, this watered down Capgrass imposter syndrome idea. Oh, it was it was so interesting to see. So this gets an absolutely on cinemodities, and probably for the same reasons. I, I said, oh, I said fuck yes to late night. I would totally want to show this someone late at night because one, you're going to get the Cameron Diaz Diaz monologue, and that's going to get everybody talking, and then you're going to have some, I think, good conversation with you know what the hell is going on here. Late night movies, yes, for, for the, all the aforementioned reasons. I have a new I have a new ranking for cinemodies or a new listing, I okay. guess, a, a, a label. I'm going to because I was thinking about this because this kind of fell in the same kind of like area as Total Recall, where it's just it's too big budget, it has too much star sure. power. But then I realized this resonated with people. Not resonated. I'm sorry. People want to see this. And I'm like, why? I really can't figure out why this is successful because, yes, probably a lot of it was just probably the star power, just things mm -hmm. like that. Sure. But, like, this is a movie that should have died on word of mouth. Yeah, so, it seems like it. So I'm proposing a new label. 
an inverse cinemotony. Okay. <laughs> because, like, this is a movie that's made by a bunch of people who have a ton of clout and power. Again, it's Steven freaking Spielberg, Tom Cruise, all these other actors. It's directed by Cameron Crowe, who's at the height of his power right now. Yep. And they made, I don't want to say an incomprehensible film, but they made a film that really, really should have turned people off. Yeah. For, for, for a multitude of reasons. Yet it made money. Mm-hmm. Maybe not an inverse cinemotity, but an inexplicable one. Because, like, everything here shouldn't work. There's so many, like, jarring pieces. That, like, again, you have a date night couple go to see this. And they should have been like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And like, you have grandma and grandpa that go out, come out and go, what? What did she swallow? <laughs> and that's, and that's, like, and yet it still made money. You fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what to call it yet either, but I see what you're getting at. Absolutely. Um, it's almost a, where I was coming at my cinemata the answer from, you know, the, the, how I felt about the exact content of the movie. Um, you know, there is this kind of, uh, maybe not cultural impact, but financial impact or, or human impact this had when it came out that is in and of itself odd. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is this is kind of. I have no idea how why people saw why people saw this movie. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I get. This is one. It's kind of like what happened to Elizabeth Town and like other Cameron Crowe movies. Like it makes money like opening weekend, and mm. then it drops off because people are like, oh, this is not really good. And, and I don't mean all of Cameron Crowe's like catalog. I mean like his stuff like in the last 10, 20 years. Again, people should have saw this opening weekend, and the word of mouth should have been yeah. outright toxic. Yeah, absolutely. And yet it wasn't. And I wonder, I wonder, I have no idea what carried this film over the goal line. Was it the star power that just overpowered everything else? Maybe it was the fact that people didn't want to see Lord of the Rings or Ocean's Eleven. Like, think about it. Like, if you are, like, it's the holidays, you want to see a more conventional film. Like, in 2001, something like Lord of the Rings really was, like, a, a brand new type movie. There really wasn't this sort of, like, fantasy film yeah. on that sort of scale before. Um, yes, you had things like Ocean Eleven, Ocean's Eleven, but that was also very jokey. It's, it was very, again, what's the word? It was very youthful. Again, you had mm -hmm. you had all the you had Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, George Clooney all doing their thing, and I don't know. Like it's this is such an experimental film, and it's weird. I can't think of another film that's this experimental, even though it is again Baby's first David Lynch that made a hundred million dollars. I can't think of another film that was this bizarre. And again, it's I guess it's again it's in the same camp as a Total Recall. Yeah, yeah. Whereas at least with Total Recall, it's a very pulpy premise. Like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes to Mars and encounters a conspiracy with mutants. Mm -hmm. That I get. Like, that's the premise of the movie. You're either on board with it or you're not. Whereas, like, how do you, like, okay, Rob, let's imagine you're in 2001 and you want to see this movie at nine years old for whatever reason. How do you explain this to somebody? Like, imagine <laughs> having a girl, imagine you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a wife or a husband. And you're like, hey, I want to see this movie. Other than like, oh, it's the latest Tom Cruise movie. How could you explain this movie, like trying to convince someone to see it as a non-oddity? Like, how do you sell this as like a conventional film? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, then, I don't know if you'd have to leave information out. <laughs> and then once people, once you've, I don't want to say duped, but once you've gotten people into the theater, they watch it. How do you say you liked it? Like, again, like, how do you... Okay, Rob, take Cinemodies out of this equation. Sure. How would you recommend this movie to somebody like 
an aunt or uncle. You'd have to know that they were like the weird aunt or uncle that no, was into no. this. But that's the thing, though. Like, they're not the weird. How do you sell this movie to somebody that's not into weird movies? Oh, then just tell them Tom Cruise is in it and hope that star power carries it. Like and you're that's, saying. So that's the only way this movie. So it seems like by, it, yeah. By our own deduction, the only reason why this movie made money was because of Tom Cruise. But if that's the case, why didn't it crash and burn after opening weekend? Yeah, I, that's that's the inexplicable. That's why exactly. Okay, I'm not calling it. Forget that was a wrong word to use. I'm not calling it an inverse cinemati. It's an inexplicable cinemati. Ah, perfect. It is. It's an inexplicable cinemati. It's a cinemati. Yeah, I can't figure out why. Yeah, yeah. That it is, Paradox, it is really baffling. paradoxical. Par, it's an inexplicable paradoxical cinemati. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, new it's, ranking, it's, it's folks. A strange new one for sure. Yep. Yep, good old, good old. I swallowed your comment means something. Movie. That's a lot of big words I got to put in the spreadsheet. <laughs> it's a that's a lot of SAT words. I like to. We always should do Rob. We should make a SAT question for Cinemodies where it's like Vanilla Sky is to Goosebumps as Jurassic <laughs> World Dinosaur Boogaloo Two is to. It has like four choices. It's like uh, Vox Lux, Aristocats, Death Kiss, and Ham Tomorrow. <laughs> 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 exactly. I, we should do that. Cinemati's SAT prep. Oh God, that's crazy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Alrighty, Rob. So I would imagine you have a whole whole treasure trove of music to pull from for this episode. Let's do oh. to play in reverse. Oh, of course. But before we get to there, do we want to say what we're doing next week, Zach? Would you like to? Uh, I, think or we wanna... I, th- I think we said it. I think I mentioned it. What we were doing okay. next week. Okay. We were, so, when we were uh, talking about Crispin Glover. I think I threw that in there. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I um I said the story of when I saw it in Dropbox last week. So everybody should be able to put the pieces together. Um, so <laughs> we're okay. talking so, next week about Charlie's Angels full throttle, but don't tell anybody. Shh, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Until Monday, next Monday. Until next Monday. <laughs> yeah. So of course, how we can end this. Um, one of the things uh, that I loved in this movie was the music. Not just because it was a, a great soundtrack, I thought, you know, what was composed for it, but also the music that they used. I mentioned the radio head at the start. That's always great. But they featured very prominently three Sigur Ross songs. And if you remember, it hasn't come up in a while, I think, but um, what Johan Johansson, when we talked oh, about yeah. him with Mandy, Sigur Ross came up. They're both from Iceland. Um, Sigur Ross is one of my favorite bands and in Spirity Complex favorite bands. Um we get to hear not only Zvefen G. Engler, we get to hear Agatis Brunjian, and we get to hear Untitled 4 from the Parentheses album. Uh, no matter what anybody tells you, it is not the nothing song. It is Untitled 4. Every, al- every song on that album is untitled. I don't care how many years after they went back and gave it titles, they're all untitled. So I'm thinking I would pick <laughs> one of those songs um, and play it in reverse to not only end out this great incomprehensible blockbuster with um, a band that uh, makes up their own language for the lyrics, but to also show off some great Sigur Ross. How does that sound? Whoop, whoop. Yeah, I dig it. And tune in next week for Crispin Glover. <laughs> oh, see. Oh.